about it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear survivor historians. I don't even sing. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only podcast where it takes us five years and we don't even get to 50 episodes. I'm not Mario Lanza, I am Paul Osselson, and today I'm joined with um, the other historian who's not been on the show for every episode, so we thought we'd get together and celebrate an anniversary. Are you there, Temp? I am here. the young guns have officially taken over the podcast, Paul, though I will say a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. Mario Lanza and Jay Fisher have both appointed themselves to go into solitary confinement until they come up with the grand dissertation about how much they love Micronesia in preparation for our fourth part of that podcast. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good task for them, but I'm excited to sit down and talk to you, Mike. Uh, what are we sitting down for? What happened five years ago today? Five years ago today, on March 28th, 2012, a little podcast called The Survivor Historians was born. And throughout the five years of this podcast, uh, we have been able to get through nearly 16 seasons, uh, many countless numbers of hours. I think we're bordering on, you know, probably near 175 to 200 hours talking about Survivor at this point. And with it comes a myriad of different jokes, recurring bits, and such. Uh, the things that we're picking are only, you know, a drop in the bucket of all the other stuff that's been talked about through hours of these podcast coverage. So even though your moment, your best moment might not have made it on, uh, there are many, many more moments that hit the cutting room floor. We really had a lot of submissions, which were really great. But Paul, as one of the OG Survivor historians, I want to hear from you. I mean, if this podcast was a human, it would be old enough for you to teach it. How does it feel to to know that like you've been through five years of talking about Survivor on this podcast specifically? That's right. This uh, you know little historian could be in my uh, in my kindergarten class this year. That's kind of crazy to think about. You know, I think going into it, there were really like not that many expectations. I think as we'll we'll talk about here, when it started off, Mario just said this is a one time thing. We're gonna just kind of go with this. And um, to think that it's gone on for five years, and uh, you know that, that how much Survivor we've been able to talk about, um, and the different co-hosts who have come and left over the 16 years, some of them better than others. Um, but it's been <laughs> it's been kind of a I mean uh, I wouldn't say crazy, right? Because it's like I feel like sometimes like uh, historians is a huge part of my life, and I'm thinking about it and preparing for it, and then I go months or in my case even years having nothing to do with historians, and then I pop back up. So it's been a nice kind of constant throughout the past uh, uh, five years and always something fun uh, to talk about. And in preparation for this podcast here, I was, had a lot of laughs. So uh, I'm really excited to, to reflect on the past half decade with you. Yeah, and it's interesting because I do feel like, even though it's only five years looking back, I feel like a lot has changed both in the world, in the Survivor world, in our own lives in the past five years. I know that in the time that Survivor Historians has started, Paul, uh, you have worked in several different cities in several different countries. Uh, you and I have both gotten married to each other. No, to different people. <laughs> right. uh, but, Paul, you have met all of us in person as well. And it's crazy, you know, looking back on these episodes as well. Obviously, I did, I did a lot of listening in preparation for this podcast. And it's so fun especially in those early seasons for you guys to talk about like how there are instances from survivor one world that tie into, right. you know, what you're currently speaking about. And now we're on, you know, I, I know they say don't date this podcast too much, but we are literally dating this podcast. Yeah. Mario, uh, you know, Mario kind of the dad of the podcast. He always said, you know, sometimes we would slip up and really, 
you know, make it clear what season was airing. And Mario's idea for the podcast always was to not date it so you could go back and listen to it any time. This is the time we have permission from Dad that we could literally say we are recording this in March of 2017. Yeah, I mean, you can't really say. Hopefully a five-year podcast still holds its value after the expiration date. But it's tough to really not date it. But I guess we should not bury the lead here. Uh, let's sort of talk about exactly what we're doing here. So there, as I mentioned before, it's been five years of Survivor Historians, though, as Paul mentioned, less than 50 podcasts. Uh, but there's still been chock full of entertainment. That's not even, that's in- bad. That's not even one a month. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. But every time we do, we at least do, you know, three hours of them. It's not like, you know, we're pulling a super serial or anything and doing one yeah. hour episodes every other month or something. And it might border on 50 if you count, like, you know, the listener questions that we've done three podcasts of those. We did the the uh, the Apprentice interviews, of which I was a part of. We did the Survivor After 10 Seasons retrospective. So if you glom on those miscellaneous things, that could add up to 50. We had the interview with Chris Doherty as well. But, yeah, there, it's and despite the fact that the, the quantity may be small, I'd say the quality is still high. So in preparation for this, I, we reached out to the listeners of Survivor Historians because – we absolutely love our fan base, and you guys are what have been keeping us going for the past five years. And we asked them, you know, what are some of your favorite moments from Survivor Historians' coverage of the various seasons? And we got a bunch of responses. So what I did was I took a look back, I culled together these responses, and I pulled one to two clips from each season's coverage that gives a nice sort of general scope as to some of the best recurring bits, some of the best impressions, some of the best characters, and some of the best discussions that we've had on the podcast through the years. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into this. You know, I've I've been like we said five years ago, One World was was airing when this happened. I hadn't you know graduated from college yet, and so a lot of things I've forgotten that I've said. There's certain podcasts that I was not on, so I mean, there's really a lot to dive into here about the 16 seasons that we've covered. Well, let's start at the very beginning, and I mean the very very beginning. Paul, you mentioned before how Mario and Mario has told this story many times about how he got you guys together. He essentially reached out. He was sort of the Nick Fury in a way to call together his own Survivor Avengers, the best Survivor experts that he knows on the internet. It was yourself, the aforementioned Jay Fisher, and uh, the Pete Best of the Survivor historians, the one and only Beatles from Survivor Sucks. And I thought it would be fun to go back and listen to the first seven and a half, eight minutes of that very first podcast where you guys attempted, I think, to cover, you tried to cover the first four seasons, right? <laughs> right. But you only got through three. <laughs> we didn't know, we didn't know what Historians was. We thought, yeah, we'll sit down, you know, three hours, we'll cover it four seasons. Little did we know uh, how Historians would actually work. Yeah, so I think the first podcast is called Survivor 101. Uh, <laughs> and But this this is uh, the first few minutes or so are just your introductions and you start talking about the first time each of you got into Survivor. And Paul, I will admit you definitely show your age here. So let's take a listen. (laughs) Hello, everybody. This is Mario Lanza, and I am uh, proud to be the host of this special podcast. This is uh, kind of a one-time thing I put together. No, No frills, nothing fancy. We don't really have a title. Um, basically, um, what I'm doing here is I just kind of took four old school Survivor fans going back to the first season, and it, this is kind of my uh, desire to document Survivor history. I've noticed that most Survivor podcasts now are just based on the current season. It's the fan base in general is very new; they don't tend not to know the older seasons. And I just thought it would be fun to kind of put together an old school podcast, kind of a 
survivor historians, if you will, just people to talk about the early days and kind of preserve some of this history for kind of a newer audience. And so I am proud to introduce my roundtable here. First off, we have uh, his name is Beatles. And uh, if you know him from Survivor Sucks, he may be the single most respected and wise suckster out there. So welcome. Beatles. I wouldn't, wouldn't go that far, but thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have uh, Paul Asselson, I believe. Is that how you pronounce your last name, Paul? Asselson. Less like an ass, more like awesome. Okay, so we're going to call you Paul Asselson. <laughs> Paul Ass, yes. <laughs> yeah. Paul is, is maybe the smartest survivor expert I've ever met. I've known this guy since he was, what, are you about 15, 14? I you was, were young. I was uh, a minor. I know that for sure. Yeah, so uh, I was I was talking to a minor as... As carefully as the law will allow, yes. for all these years, he was on MySpace, and Paul and I have been my Survivor friends for years. And, and Paul just knows just about everything that's ever happened on Survivor. And it was no surprise to me when he ended up making his own Survivor shows on YouTube. He produces them. He's uh, on a show called The Tribe, where he's the Survivor expert. So uh, welcome, Paul. You're very welcome on my, any one of my podcasts. Thank you. And I will just say that when I say I know everything that happens, like just with every season, it gets worse and worse. So ask me something about Survivor Nicaragua. We'll be here forever. But old, <laughs> yeah, the older, the better for me. I can definitely relate to that. And then finally, we have uh, Jay Fisher. Jay, Jay is a friend of mine going back for years, kind of through MySpace and from my blog. And he doesn't – he's not known for doing a lot of Survivor writing, but Jay is absolutely the five funniest people I know. And I've been thrilled to finally uh, be doing something with him on a podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Jay. Hey, I'm always still to be here with Ass Beetle and some guy that stalks people on MySpace. <laughs> exactly. If you need a guy to talk to 14-year-olds on MySpace, that's what I'm here for. <clears throat> good, good for you. Good for you, son. Exactly. Good for you. It's good to have goals. Yeah, exactly. No, it's great to be here, and uh, I love and respect all of you. Not as creepy as Mario does, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> all right, first off, I just want to kind of get started. How did you guys all get involved in Survivor? Like, I know all of us are first-season watchers going way back to the early days. This is, some, I mean, some serious expertise here, not to, not to brag or anything, but there's, there's some hardcore knowledge in this group. And I'm, I'm curious, in particular, Beatles, how did you get involved in Survivor? Right, well, I was a bit of a late bloomer. I started with the uh, third episode. Oh. And, uh, oh. Sorry. I but uh, actually, I didn't even want to watch it. My dad uh, insisted on it because he thought it sounded really cool. And, uh, yeah, basically by the time I got to it, well, you switched your vote, then uh, I kind of realized instantly yeah, I, was, I was in for the long haul. Now, did you know right then you were watching history? Because that was the infamous uh, Stillman law, uh, lawsuit gate episode. Well, uh, I don't really know if I would I'd say I was watching history, but... Uh, <laughs> Just it, it definitely was something new that I'd never seen anything like before, and like I, I mean, I never watched Real World or anything like that. So uh, I, yeah, I could tell that this is kind of like a transformative moment in television. And how about you, Paul? How did you get involved? Well, actually, it's a, a similar story to Beatles. Here, I was ten at the time, had just gotten done with the fourth grade, and or was about to be done with the fourth grade, and my mom had actually videotaped it. Why my mom videotaped the show? I mean, it's just so out of character for her. She can barely keep up with you know the show now, follow what's going on. But she told me about this thing. I thought it sounded cool. I thought they were going to kill someone on TV or kill fifteen people on TV, and there'd only be one survivor. Um, but I think she might have taped actually the first couple episodes and I watched, I remember when Sonia got blurred off, I was so mad and I just, 
I was like, that's just unfair. How can you vote off just because she's old? And I just was, like, really mad and, like, wasn't 100% sure if I was going to go to the second episode. But, like Beatle said, I was hooked on episode three. I can distinctly remember after Stacy being voted off, going outside of my backyard, jumping on my trampoline and, like, thinking, trying to name off, okay, who are the remaining contestants? Who do I think is going to go next? Who do I think is going to win? So from then on, I've been hooked. Nothing like the rage of a 14-year-old to do life-changing decisions. Right. I was eating a, an ice cream sandwich at the time. I can remember it vividly. <laughs> How about you, Jay? Well, as Paul shows his very young age with that story, I'm going to show a slightly older age. It was my first year in college, actually. And it was one of those things where when you get into college, you meet everybody. And I lived on an honors floor with all of my fellow nerds there. And, you know, we were we were nerds. We were in college. We were away from our parents. We had a T1 line. Life was good back then. And someone just walked around and said, hey, check this out. There's some show where they're going to kill some people on an island. And we were like, what? What are you kidding me? That's so stupid. This is going to be dumb. No, it's going to be cool. No, dumb. No, dude. Dude. And then probably we argued about religion or something. I don't know. But, you know, it was one of those things where it just became kind of this this uh, center of fascination around the dorm room that there was this show called Survivor. And there was going to be people going out on some sort of uh, island. And, and, you know, it was all real nebulous. And we started to do a little bit more research into it. And then we figured out what the premiere day was. And so I actually saw the first episode uh, in a friend's dorm room. And there was, you know, six or seven of us sitting around the TV. And I remember being slightly disappointed, actually, after the first season, because nobody died and no one came close. <laughs> but it was one of those things where, you know, you watched the first episode and, and then you watched it, you know, and then I just said, well, I'll just stick around, see if someone eventually dies. There were some old people there and stuff like that. And, you know, the legend of B.B. Anderson was born. <laughs> I have to say, I've actually written about how I got involved in, in Survivor before. And uh, for me, it, it all happened with, through Howard Stern. I was a big Howard Stern fan. I listened to his radio show every morning. It allowed me to work out the rage that I had inside me. So I and he would talk about the show. He's like, yeah, they're going to they're going to put these 16 people on an island and just the one left standing at the end is going to win. He goes, it's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. I can't believe someone's going to do this. And I'm like, people are going to die on a show? Are you kidding me? And that was that was kind of how the first season was billed. This is what I don't think a lot of uh, new school fans will kind of know, that it was really billed as survivor of, of the fittest, that you're going to have people out there like the, the, the one most fit to survive is going to make it. And it was just fascinating that someone was going to do that. So I remember watching that first episode thinking, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And I watched it. And it wasn't until like 10 minutes into the episode or whatever that they said, oh, yeah, someone's going to get voted off. And I'm like, what? Voted off? That's not survival. What the fuck is this? And so I remember being pissed at the first episode because it wasn't anything like what they billed it as. And that was kind of my introduction to Survivor. I'm like, well, all right, they really watered it down. It's really not. It's, it's just like, like the real world where they vote each other out. And that's kind of how I approached it for the first couple episodes. So, Paul, I have to ask, do you still continue to think about Survivor while bouncing on a trampoline? I don't. I don't have a trampoline. You know, that was a really a big part of my early days of Survivor and how they processed. Now, luckily, I have a podcast that I can podcast and, and reflect on Survivor that way. Because before the era of podcasts, all I had was an ice cream sandwich and a trampoline in my backyard. <laughs> I do. That's so much fun to listen to, the origin story, no matter how many times I hear it. And again, Beatles is such an enigma 
in historian's <laughs> lore that it's fun to actually hear his voice. I know, it's not you. I mean, people, if, if you don't listen carefully, you might think that was an early Mike Bloom. Uh, what I like about it, <laughs> Which too, is strange, because his voice sounds much deeper than mine does. Well, like I went through a reverse puberty. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to hear, because I, I was, you could tell I was the only one who had podcasted before, because you could hear me pretty clear, and everyone else kind of sounds like a <laughs> muffled phone. I mean, Jay Fisher has, a, like, the best voice of the, all the historians. I think we can all admit that, and he sounds really kind of pathetic on that. So I kind of wish we would have stuck with that. That way I'd have the one for once in my life, have the booming, powerful voice. <laughs> well, I mean, microphone or not, you guys persisted, right? And you decided to, after this first podcast release, I think you guys sort of all agreed, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that like, hey, this was fun to do. I believe Beatles said he only wanted to do a one-time thing, so he yes. decided to leave prematurely, and you guys covered Borneo briefly, but then you moved on into Australia. Right, and I think then the intention said, okay, we need to do one podcast per season. Like, you know, that's oh that's more doable. We still, you know, but we you, should also point out at this moment we're going to be releasing our fourth <laughs> part of Survivor Micronesia. Right, but you know, Mike, we do the same thing five years later, going into Micronesia. Oh, we'll do two, maybe three parts, and then you know, yeah. we still we're never going to learn. By the time we get to I don't know, Heroes versus Villains, it's going to be a, a ten part podcast. So you just yeah, two I, episodes <laughs> per podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah, it'll definitely fun to to listen to old historians, and I'm glad that, you know, we didn't give up after that. We kept going after that. Um, and then I think by the time we got to season two, is Australia two parts or three? When did we when did we break the mold and go to three parts? So you broke the mold in three parts during Marquesas. Uh, okay. Australia and Africa are both in two parts. And really, it's interesting, again, looking back on these, because nowadays we go super granular into almost every moment from the episode. And there's also right. four of us, so there's more, more voices in the room. But with Australia and Africa, which are two seasons that I think all three of you hold in a pretty high regard. I know you're super high on Australia, for example. You guys like to glom over a lot of general details and just give a sort of insummation right. thing. So it sort of amounts to... Four hours, two two-hour podcasts to talk about an entire season of Survivor Australia. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty 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 long, Mike. <laughs> Sick of that joke yet? I think if you look back at what happened in Australia, there's one joke that definitely sticks in all of our minds. Uh, uh, that happened around uh, uh, episode six of Survivor Australia. You don't have the Nick uh, pull string doll where you pull the string and it says something like, once you go dark meat. <laughs> I had the one you pull in and it says, he's burned. He's burned real bad, Terry. <laughs> two, two things before the uh, tribal council. Number one, it's also Nick then running back to the camp after Mike has killed the pig. Yeah. And, Every- and he has, he, Nick is the best narrator of all time. Mm-hmm. He has to be. Because then he comes back and is like, Mike killed the pig. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he just cornered it and he, he stabbed yeah. it. it, it it's pretty bad, man. <laughs> He's stabbed. He's stabbed pretty bad, Terry. He's like, it's pretty bad. It's pretty messy. <laughs> the tie comes in, then they re-vote, and then it's a tie again, and then we learn the past votes thing, and Mitchell has the previous vote, so that's enough, and he goes up, and he literally shakes Jeff's hand as he snuffs his torch. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I remember you hear Nick saying he was blindsided. He was blindsided real bad, Terry. <laughs> that's now my running joke. I'm going to keep using that one. How tall was Mitchell? He was real tall. He was tall real bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think there was a Nick shot in there, too, for those of you scoring along with the Nick footage at home. Nick also gives a reaction shot. Was he sitting in his kitchen or in the lounge chair that he made for the tribe? Yeah, he was relaxing pretty bad, Terry. Um, He couldn't cook rice, Paul. He's good, but he's no Nick. Exactly. (laughs) He he, he cooks pretty bad there, Terry. (laughs) Yes, it's burned. It's burned pretty bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> mad respect to Jeff Probst for that. That is awesome. He's sadistic. He's sadistic real bad, Terry. Can't poop Bruce is the next medevac? Yep. Well, okay, you can, you can might be able to count Austin in there, because I know technically he might have been a medevac in a sense, because his, his body was shutting down, but... It, yeah. His body was a temple. It was a temple, yeah. It was a temple. It was a temple real bad. My son, Nick, might have something to say about that. Well, you know, he needs to talk about his namesake. Do you have a little Nick shrine, just like uh, Paul may have an Amber shrine? I told him to make one, but he's very lazy, so he didn't do it. Oh, that's, that's apropos. That's yes. great. So, uh, I was, was going to dad, but uh, I was lazy. I was lazy real bad. <laughs> I wish she would have made it to the merge. I wish it would have been five on five. I uh, wish it would have gone to drawing rocks, or excuse me, rocks, and so that she could draw the purple rock and get voted off, and that would end the legacy of Deb and her rocks. Nicely done. I was gonna, I was gonna try to pick a yellow one, but none of that even mattered. <laughs> it's random. It's random. Pretty bad, Terry. And remember, to be fair, they knew Nick would be so lazy he wouldn't pick up the idol, so they gave him a handle just to make it a little easier. So it was really for Nick. This idol's heavy. It's heavy, real bad, Terry. <laughs> I hate to say that's really the end of Nick's legacy, but that is the end of Nick's legacy. And he, he came into town, affected nobody, and left. Hey, you know, that, that takes skill in and of itself, right? You know, just just a seamless a seamless entry and exit into Survivor. Exactly. You know, he's forgettable pretty bad, Terry. You know, sometimes yeah. you set up a shot and it's unintentional comedy, right? Like they didn't intend for it to be funny. Yeah. But seriously, they have a shot of Colby showering and the mom looking on so lovingly yeah. at the son. And it's like, what? <laughs> he's holding Who okayed that? Like, was that Terry? Terry, you messed up real bad, Terry. <laughs> when they built you. Yeah, so uh, I, 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 you know, some of these jokes, it's like I, I don't want to be like full of myself, but sometimes like if I didn't like have a really like invested like joke in it, like I don't think it's as funny. <laughs> like I wasn't a part of it. And, I like, also want to point the- out you, you pointed out the audio quality of the first podcast, but I love that I think one of the Australia parts was done in like a cave or something because the audio is better across the board, but it's really echoey for some reason. And I shall also point out, you know, if you're listening on your podcatcher of choice, no, your music app did not intentionally start up in the background. I, I underscored that a little bit. Uh, that is actually conveniently enough uh, underscored by the song Terry's Song by Bruce Springsteen. Yes, which I totally knew going into this podcast. <laughs> I guess, Paul, uh, a little behind-the-scenes stuff again. Paul reaches out to me right before we record saying, like, hey, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but there are a couple of clips where you must have left your music on or something because I hear something underneath. I was like, it. sloppy work temp here, gosh. <laughs> you're, you're, you're pulling clips and listening to something in the background? Hmm, really dedicated. I, I'm, also, I'm also not as technologically adept to even know how I would be able to listen to my music and play and record footage in the first place. So, you know, I, I, would, I would definitely be... Uh, an idiot savant that was able to actually do that. But no, Terry's song is there to honor the man that was constantly acknowledged uh, with all of the adjectives that have uh, been affiliated with his name throughout your time covering Australia. Right. You know, even though that quote, I don't think is that funny. I think what I do think is most interesting from Australia is he was hearing Mario's perspective about the contestant, Nick Brown and his connection to him and all the stories that went along with that. So, uh, you know, it was funny to remember that and all the connections Mario had with him. All right, so let's move on to Survivor Africa. We're still in two parts here. And, Paul, you revealed a little bit of yourself even in the beginning in the first clip that we played with how you 
first got to discuss Survivor in the community you first sought out. But, Paul, we have found out, oh, so much about you over the years. <laughs> and this is really the first big glimpse we get into the life and mind of Paul Oslison in that, Paul, you really, really like to watch old people fall down. <laughs> yeah, you show, you know, this podcast has not brought out the best, maybe some good qualities in me, but it also shows kind of my sadistic side, too. And uh, uh, we find out, we found out in Africa just how sadistic I can be when it comes to uh, uh, old women falling down. Well, I'll say my favorite part of the walk is when uh, Diane just biffs it walking, which is just like, <laughs> so, such foreshadowing to what Diane will bring to the season. You know, she uh, she's walking way ahead of everyone else because her pace is faster than than most people as a U.S. mail carrier. And then she's kind of she's all she's carrying is like one thing of water. She biffs it and starts rolling on the ground. Like, okay, this lady's gonna this lady's gonna go far. I like to point out that you know Jay and I noticed very subtle things about the premiere. And eleven-year-old Paul, the thing that jumped out was a lady falling there. Eleven-year-old <laughs> <laughs> Paul was laughing his ass off at that. <laughs> You're waiting for like Tom Bergeron to point out the special think... sound effect. Well, getting back to the humor of Survivor, there's another part where Paul laughed his ass off was uh, Kim Johnson falling in the second immunity challenge <laughs> or the, the first reward challenge of episode two. So we know what kills in the uh, Oslison household is older women falling. <laughs> older women taking a tumble gets me every time. Boy, Bob Saget must be like a huge, huge shrine celebrity in the Oslison house. What happens is they take their grandma to like a water slide park and he just goes crazy and laughing at <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> like watching Napoleon and Bill and Ted going down the slide and Paul's laughing at the top. Waterloo! <laughs> So then they get to the they get to the reward challenge where they have to roll the big boulder. That's fun. They roll rocks. And a uh, great scene when uh, Kelly and Kim get <laughs> taken out by the boulder and fall into the bush. Yeah, funny that Paul likes the part where the old woman <laughs> falls down. Loved yeah. it. It's a great scene where they hurl T-Bird off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll even take it that Kelly went with her. She's not even old. She's old now. Yeah, that's true. That's how much love we have going on. It's the love of Mother Africa. She's with us. Exactly. Wouldn't that be awesome if Mother Africa fell down, Paul? <laughs> it would be so funny. Like the culmination of everything you stand for. If, like, Amanda pushed Mother Africa and she fell down. I think he would have to just end his life right there. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it. That's, that's the only happiness I can get in my life. <laughs> that's really about it. I love that they show the hole that um, Ethan, you know, did his business in. That's that's just good documentary documentary work there. Exactly. So now we know if we ever if we're ever in Africa and go to that village, you can find the hole where Ethan took a dump in. I would love to take a picture in that outhouse. <laughs> that would be great. That would be, like my, that'd be like my profile picture for a decade. It would be yeah. If you took an old lady, threw her down, and then squatted down next <laughs> to the, the hole and took a picture of it, that'd be like profile picture for a century. That's like picture on my tombstone, please. <laughs> Don't feel bad, Paul. I, I often mix up Kim Powers and Kim Johnson. <laughs> Paul doesn't. <laughs> well, you know, when they're both, you know, face first, flat on the ground, you know, it doesn't matter at that point. It <laughs> doesn't matter. It's still an, a Kim on the ground. And Kim, Kim Powers uh, is like over 40 now, so she qualifies as old lady falling. So <laughs> even that's okay. Awesome. <laughs> but isn't Kim Powers like three foot eight? So, like, you know, if she falls, it's, you know, not as impressive in some way. Yeah, you get more, there's more of a, you know, fanfare when Kim Johnson falls. The older they are, the more of a chance of injury, so. 
<laughs> also exactly. that. Exactly. You know, that's, I think, you know, looking back here, talking about doing callback here, I think that's why I fell in love with Survivor. Episode 1, Borneo. Guess what? Oldest lady takes a tumble. First challenge. I'm hooked. That's why I keep coming you back. Must, you must love Wipeout. Yeah. <laughs> we, need, we need to get Paul in on MXC. Oh. All right. <clears throat> We're going to try to prevent Paul from being arrested here. Let's move on to the next episode. And it's tough, and I don't know. We weren't out there, and you can't believe all sides. And, and, and again, I'm, I don't want to sit here and say I don't trust anything Lex says. I mean, Lex says, man, I tell you, if I wasn't puking and crapping my guts out, I could have been on that on that pole forever. And it's like, that's true, but Kim also wasn't moving. <laughs> yeah, Kim is made of leather. She wasn't going anywhere. Kim was good. I mean, she yep. was solid on there. So I'm not I saying. I don't know about that. She does like to fall down a lot. It isn't hard for her to hit the ground. <laughs> it's not like she's figured out gravity yet. <laughs> I I can't top that. There's no comeback for that. Uh, you got me, Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul won. The, Paul has won the podcast. Uh, <clears throat> good night, everybody. Yeah. So this is one of those running jokes that comes into effect in future episodes as well. Uh, this is also a nice opportunity if there are historians listeners out there who sort of jumped on late on the bandwagon or have sort of skipped around and listened to only seasons that they want to or that they're interested in and you have no idea where a certain recurring joke came from. Uh, Paul having an affinity for old people taking a tumble took its root in the beginning of Africa here with talking about Diane during the opening walk. Well, and it's it's one of those things that you know with this... Uh... With the podcast here, you talk about these things, and I had known that I always had laughed at Diane falling. I knew that I kind of always, like, not necessarily liked, but, like, really noticed Kim Johnson falling. So it, it was kind of like the, the podcast helped connect the dots here of, like, oh, what's really going on here? What's the deeper issue here that Paul has here? It's uh, laughing at elderly people falling down. Yeah, this is this nice serves as a as parallel psychoanalysis into right. your mind, Paul. And right. uh, we'll talk about soon coming up, uh, maybe not your affinity for actions, but more your affinity for people or lack of affinity towards certain people. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, soon to come, I'm sure. Uh, but with uh, with this joke, it's followed me around so much that uh, if you go to the Funny 115 page that Mario does, you can support him by, by purchasing a tile that he puts up on one page of all the people who you know donate him to keep the Funny 115 and that. that that site also has, uh, hosts us, uh, the historians on that page. Uh, the the one that was made for me was a picture of a uh, Kim Johnson with the uh, little speed bubble that says, "I f- help, I've fallen and I can't get up." So <laughs> that really has followed me uh, around in perpetuity. Right. It's really good that I went into education, not into like you know nursing home care or something like that. So <laughs> that wouldn't be good. Um, you know, we're not going to leave Africa quite yet, though, because one of the funniest jokes that I completely forgot about, and then in preparation for this podcast, I you know heard heard this clip that you're about to hear, and I laughed so hard at it. Um, and it's something that we don't do that much, but when I think we do, it's super funny when you take a modern figure and survivor and we transplant them back into an old season and and, and think about how that interaction would happen. Uh, this was brilliant in Africa. We take you know Russell Hance, King of Samoa, and we uh, we not only take him to Africa, we take him on a very, very meaningful reward. It kills me when I see Survivor nowadays and they don't do scenes like that anymore. Just, if there's maybe one or two biggest 
complaints I had of what they don't do on Survivor anymore. That's one of them. They don't have these cultural visits where people visit villages. They're touched by the culture. And Africa is probably better than any other season in that regard in how much they, instead of bringing, like, the culture to the players, they brought the players out to the culture. Like, go out to a village, go deliver AIDS supplies to a hospital, go on a balloon ride. Like, Ethan was right there smack dab in a real African village interacting with real African kids. And like you said, it touched his life. And to this day, it's still what he believes in and still what he does. You can just see it. Do you think maybe they have uh, outings like that planned, you know, like in Samoa or something like that, but then Russell Hance wins the reward challenge and they're like, oh, God, <laughs> we're going to bring him here. And he's like, these tribal warriors don't know who they're dealing with. <laughs> It's possible. I do think that maybe if Silas had won the African visit or to deliver the aid supplies, it might not have been such a touching scene. You better dance. You better dance better. I'll put you in the jury. I'm just like get a knee, kids. I'm just like picturing Russell Hand standing next to the the small Italian do- Italian doctor at the at the orphanage, and just it just doesn't it doesn't really work. Picture That's... Russell digging digging through all the boxes of the AIDS test looking for an idol. <laughs> There's an idol clue in here. I know it. <laughs> My hat is better than your outfit, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Let's see. So yeah, they uh, so Lex wins the reward. He gets to uh, deliver aid supplies to a hospital, and, and I know we're kind of making fun of this, but That's again, so this cool. Is, <laughs> yeah, this is another one of those great scenes in Survivor that they really don't do culture stuff like this anymore. But man, think of any other season that has anything like this, where he's delivering medical supplies to an AIDS hospital. I mean, in Africa, where AIDS is the, still is huge pandemic, it's worse there than anywhere else in the world. And Lex is right there helping these kids, and he's visiting with kids and playing with them in the hospital. And, you know, for all the crap that people talk about Lex, like, go back and watch that scene again, where he's playing with little kids, and trying, delivering them AIDS supplies. I mean, come on, you can't hate Lex after seeing that scene. He's great with little kids. It's a fantastic scene, and it's just it's 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 super touching. And we you know we talk about the reward earlier, the goat the goat reward, and 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 the kids in the village. I mean that's touching on one level, but this is touching on a on a different one. I think this one is a little more grave, and you know just a, a little more sobering. Yes, sobering, and you know, but but in a good way. I mean, I watch that you watch that scene now. It's not like you're going to come out of it with a with a with a chuckle full of laughs, but at the same time, you know, you watch it and you're like, I actually watched. TV of substance right now. Like, that yeah. was something behind that. There was some backbone to that scene. Well, those days are behind me now because anytime we watch, I'm going to picture Russell Hance there and it's just going to be done. <laughs> so thanks for ruining that for me. Oh, uh, always here to help. We can't ruin... You're an adult now. Mario can no longer ruin your childhood, so we have to now ruin your adulthood. Thank you for that. Why are these kids crying? They're a bunch of little bitches. <laughs> <laughs> My God. That's How do right, these kids was... have AIDS? They can just vote it right out. <laughs> Blindside. I just like the, the image of Russell going through the medical <laughs> supplies, like looking for a clue or an idol. Like, it just killed me. I, I have to remember, I think, back when the first time I listened to this, and actually this is a connection between you and I, Paul, without even realizing it, because I was I worked in Montana for some time uh, in the middle to end of 2012, and I was actually flying into Montana when I was listening to you guys talk about Survivor Africa. And I remember that distinctly as one of, still to this day, as you said, one of the funniest bits on Survivor Historians, because, you know, in 2012, this was also coming off of the peak Russell years, you know, really 
Redemption Island had just happened in 2011, so I think Russell was still on everybody's brain, considering uh, what has just come to light, considering Survivor Game Changers. Uh, and a different, Russell's come to light in a different perspective nowadays mm-hmm. with finishing up Micronesia. We are getting ever so closer to some Survivor Samoa and Heroes versus Villains, which I know Mario will have a lot to say, considering that's where he got an entire fan base of Survivor people really to turn against him because of his vehement hatred towards Russell Hans. Right. I know it's kind of crazy to think of how much historians we've talked about, how much how much Survivor has been discussed and analyzed, and we haven't even gotten to Russell Hans yet. It's it's almost like Survivor Survivor existed before him, which is kind of a yeah, crazy so, thought. But so, some may say that Survivor that we're essentially talking about things that don't exist, since that Survivor did not happen until Russell Hans came about. But damn it, we are here to prove them wrong. Uh, we are sort of. No, like you know, making a segue here. We're still sort of saying in Africa. This is a, a short <laughs> clip, but a good one from the end of your guys' Marquesas coverage. When Paul, you were sort of talking about how the uh, the coconut chop relates to the previous eliminate your competition challenges from other seasons, and a, a sort of a vocal f- turn of phrase you made gives Mario a chance of making a rather unorthodox joke. <laughs> Which is the first challenge of its kind. I mean, we've had challenges in the past, which we also have one later on the season where, like, the, the plate-breaking challenge in Australia or the throwing the uh, those those African things at the pots or, or, you know, whatnot. But this is the first challenge that you can actually directly take a hit at someone just for getting a question right. And with three mm-hmm. hits, you're out. And, you know, they end up changing it. They do it for a while. And then pretty, I think in Season 9, they switch it to, or even Season 8, they switch it to be only reward challenges because, I mean, it really is not that fair if you're trying to win immunity here. It's really easy to gang up <laughs> on, the, on other people. But, I mean, it worked out perfectly in the season because it really showed the arrogance and cockiness of the Road to 4. And it really showed their pecking order that, you know, after they get rid of uh, Sean, V, and Kathy, um, it's going to be uh, Pascal and then Nalia. Was that a technical term? Those African things? <laughs> yes, scientific. <laughs> That's what Pascal called V and Sean. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thank you. Thank you for the setup on that one. <laughs> that was nice. Nicely played. Okay. <laughs> I got. I'm so glad. <laughs> Good. Keep going. I like hearing the laughter. I like it. I okay, feed I'm off it. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, this was this is so be one bad. of many risque moments, I feel like, that we'll talk about on Survivor Historians. But this is definitely one of the... I mean, you could hear it in your guys' reactions how jaw-dropping <laughs> that joke was from Mario. It was. I mean, in that moment, it was just... It was, like, so perfect, but so bad. And, like, just really pushing it. But so funny. So funny. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, and I, I think the you know the less time we actually like spend on talking about something like that, the the you know it's better for us as a podcast not to get drugged out with uh, especially those type yeah, of considering Pascal's uh, recent news right. time since you've recorded that. I think it's a thing we should best leave yeah, we're gonna, uh, buried for now. We're gonna we're gonna move on to uh, you know there's someone in Marquesas we for sure cannot not talk about. Um, she may not be you know the most memorable you know, contestant on Survivor Marquesas or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth or maybe not even the 15th, but for sure the 16th most memorable character on Survivor Marquesas. Please enjoy. One thing I noticed when I was watching um, Marquesas episode one just last week is is who gets the first confessional of the season. And this cracks me up if you watch it. Do you guys know who gets the first confessional of the season? Hold on, playing it out my mind here. One second. <laughs> That's right, Paul. I'm playing stump Paul. I'm gonna stump him here. 
I don't um, know. I was, I was back on the tribe. What's this? Yeah, wait. Who is it? <laughs> who is the first person we Zoe. get? Zoe gets the first confessional. No, oh, God. No, 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 I forgot. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, I thought it was a row two four. I'm like, is it the general? You know, this is <laughs> this is actually kind of a, a tactic that I think they, they even do use, like, up until modern Survivor. Like, they're the first person, I believe, to get a confessional in Survivor Samoa is, is, uh, is Brett. <laughs> and if he's not the first, he's one of the first. And they do it again in uh, Survivor South Pacific. I don't think he's the first, but he's one of the first is Rick. And so I feel like when they put the whole season together and they get these few people like, oh, crap, we don't show them, like, enough. Okay, well, let's give him the first interview. That way uh, we can at least we, – uh, we buy some time here so they don't get too mad at us. Well, Lord knows when you think of Survivor Samoa, you think Brett. And just like when you think Marquesas, I mean, immediately it's Zoe. Zoe, yeah. Well, she does party hard. She does. She plays hard. She works hard. Plays hard. That's her attitude. I find her amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Zoe is actually Zoe is gro- like like forever. I didn't even think about Zoe, and then I was really annoyed by Zoe. And I'm at the point now where I can just like laugh at Zoe. Like she is such a bizarre character to me to have on the show. Like like if you just like watch the show, just focusing on Zoe, she'll bring you so much laughter and joy. Nothing makes sense with her. The tiny bikini that does it? The tiny bikini. We're having way too much fun. Exactly. We apologize to Zoe. I know Zoe's a big listener here. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Zoe. Yeah, she's out in a fishing boat right now getting us in on Sirius or something. (laughs) Don't yell at me at your next email to me, Zoe. She's lying to me. I know she's lying to me. <laughs> They're all lying to me, and we're being played as pawns. I think we just replayed every Zoe highlight from the season right there. I think we're done with Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then Paul's favorite moment where they introduce the reward, and it's the big one, the Snickers. And they give him a bite, and the first one is Zoe. And, like, the music makes it sound like Zoe has an orgasm. Like, when she's uh, and she's like, it's so awkward because Zoe's the only one who like doesn't understand how like the shape of what a kite should be. She has this like rectangle shape thing, and she's like kind of holding her arms like back, so her chest is kind of sticking out as it is. And she tries to hold on to her kite here, and her her hair is kind of blowing in the wind here. And you know, a lot of people just kind of you know take the take the candy bar out of Jeff's hands, but her hands are so tied up that she has to kind of like sexy bite it out of uh, out of his fingers and then deep throat the thing. It's disgusting. It's gross. I think she'd have had a parental warning before he saw that. It's gross. (laughs) I think that's the sound Zoe makes when she's moaning in bed. Um, I don't care to even think about that, so let's move on. Uh, I wish Jeff had said something like, oh, 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 God, oh, God, what are you doing? (laughs) Maybe they had to do that scene over again because maybe they all came out and went, well, where the fuck is Zoe? (laughs) Yes. Well, oh my god, I just realized biggest injustice in the history of Survivor we didn't see Zoe's loved one. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. I just like want to quit now. Can you imagine? <laughs> Paul's walking off the podcast. He just Seriously, stormed out. I just I've never thought about that before. Zoe and her loved one, I don't care who it is, whoever would be a loved one of Zoe, probably would be the photographer to her calendar. Yeah, I was I was just oh. gonna say it's her photographer. He comes out with like a like a like a Nikon and a and a, and a thing of oil and says, Are we ready to shoot now? <laughs> So it's going to be like Coach, the assistant lobster fisherman comes out. His, his little, uh, if the photographer came out, the the catchphrase he would yell out would be, say cheese! <laughs> Turn around, work it, work that angle, work that hot stuff. 
no. My sexy little it. lobster, that's it. <laughs> we have calendars to sell. <laughs> All right, boys, I'm going to show you my lobster. All right, I think we're done. <laughs> See, we'll never right. be done with Zoe. And then we have Zoe the juror, who Paul would appreciate because her first word is, you guys know I'm a work hard, I have a work hard, play hard attitude. I'm like, yes, Zoe, we get it. We know your catchphrase. Shut up. And then there's kind of a bunch of awkward pauses that, but she's not going to talk about the lion, the backstab, because I was there. We all were there. <laughs> Thank you. Maine. <laughs> Maine. Zoe has, I mean, that's the thing about Zoe. I, I, I think that we dissected it correct a while ago, which is the the parts of her don't fit quite right because she gets up there. And I mean, it's Zoe. She's just kind of bullish and, you know, going forward. And she gets up there and says, you know me, guys, work hard, play hard. And, I mean, we've been making fun of that phrase for the last three podcasts. But she says it, your head turns. Your head just uh, will kind of cock to one side. You'll be like, huh? Aroo? Like, doesn't make any sense. It's like she's all all season long. She's been trying to get this catchphrase on the air because she wants her to have like t-shirts and stuff. Like she wants to be the survivor t-shirt person, the work hard, play hard Zoe. And you know she's been saying this every single day of the season just to get it on TV, and it only makes it into like three different episodes. In the finale, she says it again as if we're supposed to know it. Well, you guys know me. I'm work hard, play hard. It's like no one gives a fuck. We don't actually. In fact, this is very similar to the whole Mother Africa thing, so no wonder Paul loves both of them so much. Yep, very true. So, uh, I think anyone who knows this... Don't don't you mean Zoe? Zoe. Zoe, let's do blah, blah, blah. No, I think that, uh, you know, there's there's one thing that if I cling to historians that I think that, that I did something for the online survivor community, or at least a section of it... I think I brought the attention to Zoe's Anadakis. I think that now, I think now, I mean, she's way more like, she's someone that people talk about way more than a lot of, you know, random people be, who get who get voted off early on or early merger who don't get much of an edit and Zoe was one of the first people we actually get to get that far in the game and have not much about her but I've always thought of what a weird ass person she was so historians was so great that I could start sharing that and then get everyone else to kind of be on board with that to the point now that you know the the main place where you can go to discuss historians and all things Mario is a group called Zoe's Lobster Shack so I take yeah. a lot of pride in what I did for the online survivor community and really bringing the attention to Zoe's Anadakis. It really is a legacy. And I mean, I might have had a further investment in Zoe than some others at the time our cases aired because my uncle was like a friend of a friend of Zoe. So she wow. was she was sort of like my, my Nick Brown in a way wow. in relation to Mario and that like she was someone that like, oh, she didn't really have an impact on the season, but you know, I have a personal rooting interest towards her. But you brought all of her I wouldn't necessarily typify her qualities, but her qualities, nevertheless, too light. And I, I would say that the Survivor community has been all the better and that Zoe Zanadakis' legacy has been really brought to the forefront. You know, I didn't know that a tidbit about, about your connection. There's a reason you were on this podcast, Mike. Um, you know, there's a, there's a reason you were brought to us. The stars have aligned. Uh, so let's move on to Survivor Tyler. I know things get a little different here. Uh, this is where... 
first Mario it does not for the first time lead the podcast. Uh, Jay Fisher has been the most vocal proponent of Survivor Thailand out of all of us, so he gets a, t- a, ch- a chance to lead discussion on talk about Survivor Thailand. Thailand is known as probably one of the uglier seasons, especially looking back, but of course on Survivor Historians, we try to make light of even the darkest caverns uh, that we approach, and Ted and Gandia with the whole Grindgate thing is a very ugly situation, especially nowadays. But I think you guys had a lot of fun with it, especially with the term sexy biting. The whole Ted and Gandia thing, which is funny because it is that kind of in one mouth or out one mouth and out the other side of the mouth where, you know, they hyped it all week. And even, you know, when we get to Survivor All-Stars, even though they neglect to bring back either neither Ted nor Gandia to anything in the future, which is fine. That's their decision. He's final five guy and Gandia goes out pre-merge. I'm not sitting here uh, upset about that thing. But, you know, when they're showing clips of, you know, notable Survivor moments from the past, they go to Thailand. What's the clip they show? They show Ted and Gandia freaking fighting. <laughs> I think it, it even makes the tree mail in All-Stars when they have a uh, when they have the booklet saying that they're going to be quizzed about um, past seasons, <laughs> and it says, "Gandia screamed, you're way too close." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, kind of, kind of like, kind of made up that quote too. But okay, yeah, that's paraphrasing. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. I would have yeah, been like, stop, 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 sexy biting me. <laughs> It would maybe so, I don't know if they would have had to work with the rhyme more, but something like could have rhymed with like like Ted sexy bit Gandia. I guess maybe nothing rhymes with Gandia. <laughs> it's like orange it's be, that way. Yeah. Was it in that that trivia challenge in fans versus favorites? Like the one that the people had to answer the knowledge of past seasons. Like which part of his body did Ted grind up too close to Gandia? <laughs> <laughs> the sexy part. <laughs> <laughs> they have challenges like this, and back then we didn't have that context. No, nothing. And yeah, so was... this is the first, and he's like, "There's going to be an attack zone," and you know they're highlighting it on the screen like this black part in the middle. You can, you know, do whatever you need to do to get the other person by. You're like, do whatever. Oh, holy shit! <laughs> I thought we just had an attack zone with Ted and Gandia. <laughs> Yeah, kind of ironic. Whole, it's the same episode. This episode's called Family Values. It should just be attack zones, <laughs> plural. Sexy biting. <laughs> yeah, I, I've loved, I've, I love the attack zone challenge. The first night it was on TV, I've loved it every time since. It's one of my all-time favorite challenges because it's just hilarious with the younger, more aggressive Sukjais, you know, beating the shit out of the old people, and then just their bloodlust gets a little out of hand and they just disqualified one after another. Bam, 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 bam. Which. The apex, of course, is Stephanie being disqualified for pulling somebody out while she's in the water. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. So (laughs) those who've never seen this before, they're on two separate boats, and they're basically – they have to kind of navigate along kind of like the skinny bamboo balance beam kind of deals. They kind of fork around, and they have to get to some boats on the opposite side, and they've got like baskets and shit in them. And basically they need to navigate this course, grab an item, and bring it back to their boat. But all of the bamboo things kind of – go toward one, you know, thicker bamboo strip in the middle. And in the middle of that strip, there is a black zone, which Jeff is calling the attack zone. And if two opposite people kind of from different tribes kind of find themselves on this uh, skinny piece, they can contact each other in the attack zone and basically push one in the water. And if you're in the water, you have to go back to the start with all of these challenges. Now, what's unclear is grinding and or sexy biting allowed in this attack zone. (laughs) Uh, that was not explained. 
If it's in the attack zone, I mean, all bets are off. All bets are off, but you got to be in the attack zone, Paul. Okay, as long as you're in the attack zone and you're sexy binding, then I guess it would be okay. Yes. And also, you have to be attracted to them. <laughs> you know, I am really disappointed that they didn't include a sexy biting question on the Survivor All-Stars questionnaire. They really missed out <laughs> on an opportunity there. <laughs> yeah, no, they really did. Uh, you know, l- listening to that uh, that little clip there kind of gave me a shiver up my spine, almost as if someone were, you know, kind of sexy biting me on my back. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, do you need to take a break, Paul? Do you need to go karate chop some logs to get out of any sort of aggression? <laughs> yeah, and then I need my, wh- my ass to be whooped and put back in bed. <laughs> I did I did forget how much you do have and this wasn't brought up as a clip but you do have a, a nice uh, obsession with Gandia as well Gandia in the beginning of the Thailand is podcast. Fabulous. If we were in the mo- if Thailand were in the modern age like Gandia would be brought back from, you know, for another season because she made such big of an impact on her short run on the show. She is absolutely amazing for the show and uh, I think some of the best parts of Thailand are those first four episodes because she's in it. You know, I don't like this, the next person we're going to talk about here as much as Gandhi, but I would say maybe I'm just kind of like indifferent on this person. Um, I don't know if you remember her. I kind of remember her. It starts with a Judd, ends in an Ean. Uh, do you remember this contestant, Jean? Let's take a listen. But but really, the, the opening of episode five is Jean, and she's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Paul, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, there's even a scene they cut out and they uh, they show it in the, the recap episode um, a few episodes down the line where she's so mad that she cooks some maggots in the in the manioc and gives it to them because she's so mad at them. But the whole thing is just really dumb. She's just like, you know, she's just really showing herself to be a winner in life about what a poor sport she's being about the whole situation. So good for you, Jean. But come on, you had to laugh at the scene where, where Shauna's whining how she wants to go home and, and we pan to Jean who just turns and gives her this mocking look. Remember that one? Kind of looks like she's puking. It's a really cute look for her. Exactly. Even you must admit that was a funny moment. I might have chuckled at some point, but my, like, this this podcast just really kind of feeds into, like, my hatred or love for certain characters. And unfortunately, Jean's taking kind of a, a hard beating, so I can't even, like, give her that. I do like her quote there when she was, like, super upset about Joanna going home. She says, you know, they just voted out the strongest person in the game. Smart. It's like... Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is pretty smart. <laughs> well, I love, I love the like, you know, Gene kind of gets his attitude here, but then it's like Gene's no match for Dina. Dina just does a smackdown to Gene when they're kind of sitting around and stuff, and uh, and and Dina's just kind of trying to talk her down and stuff like that. And um, you know, Gene's like, well, I feel like I'm all, you know, I'm over here, and you know, I didn't know what was going on last night. And Dina says, well, we had some personality issues and we want to all feel like you know we are united and stuff and she goes well like i'm not going to go out there anymore because you know like you guys are over here and i go out by myself and then dina just turns and goes okay fine then have at it because i'm sick and tired of the damn thing and um just kind of shuts gene up there <laughs> yeah and gene and gene uh, uh confronts her and says you guys were talking about me and stuff like that they're like no we were talking about christy oh yeah, yeah dina yeah, yeah. with the point <laughs> a point <laughs> i was talking about her i was talking about her and, and then, then kind of awkward pause. Awkward it's like a pause. And she goes, didn't sound like that. No, I was talking about Christy and the attitude she had early on in the game. Total Dina Smackdown. <laughs> Dina's great. I got I to gotta tell you, Paul, I have. I really had no opinion on Jean one way or the other. She just was character in Survivor Amazon. But, you know, after talking with you and your, and your hatred for Jean, I actually went back and watched this episode. And Jean's like, you know, getting smacked down by Dina and just being all pissy and stuff like that. And I'm just watching my screen going, fucking Jean. 
God, fucking Gene, what an attitude. God, I hate Gene. And then I, I really don't, but it was just kind of fun to watch the episode with that attitude. It's way fun. Try it sometime, kids. And my favorite is where they both grab, they all grab sticks, and there's this awkward pause, and then Heidi's like, I can't even tell which one's shorter. Like, they don't even know which one was the shorter stick. <laughs> well, then I love that Trevor cuts the two. Here's another, like, effing G moment, is that, like, you know, they're, they're talking about, what are we basing your vote on here, you know, um, um, alliances, or, or what, I can't remember exactly what the wording of it is, and then just because, um, um, uh, one of the guys that said some better comment and Jean's thing is, Jean, how are you uh, basing your vote? Um, how does she say it? She says, Weakest like, link. Weakest link and alliance. And then he's like, <laughs> and, they're, and they're both the same for you? Mm hmm. You drew a fucking stick. <laughs> that, Would you lay off Jean? Good lord. <laughs> she's not in the show for very much longer. I need to get these out. What did she kill your puppy? What did she do? <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> <laughs> she acts like she's just like holier than thou, like player of the game, and yet she's gonna lie right at Tribal Council and say that she's voting for weakest link and alliance because she drew a, a stick. This is great. Did you not hear her final words? In the game of life, she's the winner, Paul. Yeah, you she's the winner. Motherfucker. <laughs> if you sick any, motherfucker. If there's any like survivor out there that you could say like like it's okay that he or she didn't win the game because look how good they're doing in real life, okay? There are countless survivors you could say that to. You could say that about Roger. Like, Roger, no, I'm sorry, not Roger. Well, he's good too, but I'm saying Roger from from Australia. You know, in the game of life, he has won the game of life. Look how happy he is and stuff. But Gene, of all people, you're going to say, oh, Gene, yeah, you're really kicking ass in life too, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, Gene, if you're listening to this, Gene, I'm, I'm sticking up for him, doing the best I can. Also, Paul is adopted, so he's not the winner in the game of life. Gene, Gene, you should just turn. You should. You should not be listening to this anymore, Gene. Oh, uh, you push Paul's button, and he just wins. That was fantastic. That was Montana rage. So yeah, pretty neutral on Gene. Just just a tad. And we're really seeing the different ends of the spectrum of Paul Osselson here. We talked about someone that he lavishes praise onto. And we then go move on to somebody who, again, sort of like Zoe, is very innocuous. Uh, you know, if you go back to your where does she rank on memorable castaways, she's definitely number 60. Maybe Ryan Aiken's up there as well in terms of Survivor Amazon. But there are certain moments that you bring up about Gene that just really makes your blood boil. And as a result, not only does it make Mario and Jay lap up, lap uproariously, but I mean, Jay does admit at the podcast at one point, you know, I didn't really think anything about Gene at all until you brought things up, Paul. And yeah, I'm totally on your side now. <laughs> I know. That's what I love doing with some of these characters that I really kind of get, you know, Jay and, and Mario to kind of take a side, you know, someone's kind of defending Gene or someone, you know, ends up being on my side with things. And we'll see this later on uh, uh, in Survivor uh, Micronesia with another contestant. But, um, yeah, I just think that um, Gene is someone that always bothered me. And then having to really dive in and analyze a podcast just really brought out the really, really, really annoying parts of her. And I think this is the joke that's carried me, has followed me around even more so than the old people falling down. As I still, about every week or every two weeks, I get some, you know, joke about me hating Gene. So I've come to embrace it, um, which is kind of sad now that Gene kind of is a positive thing now in my life. That's kind of sad. Well, in the game of life, you truly are the winner in that perspective. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> well, one other running joke that was instituted throughout your coverage of Survivor Amazon, which 
might be some of my favorite covers that you guys have done. I guess we can sort of put historians in three phases at this point. Uh, the first phase is obviously the original trio of you, Jay, and Mario, and it coalesces in this Amazon Pearl Islands coverage, in my opinion, which are two very strong seasons. But from the beginning, you mentioned how Heidi Strobel, uh, now not Strobel, uh, said a very rather obvious thing at the top of Survivor the Amazon, and it carried through as a running joke throughout the duration of your coverage. So the first two people that would guess that it was going to be a male versus female season was you and Heidi. Heidi. <laughs> Heidi knew. The minute, the minute there was five girls on that tribe, she knew. She knew. She was the only one that knew. <laughs> or the Rio Negro. Sorry. You know, we're, we're, we're in the Amazon. We're going down a river. I'm sure that happens all the time. But then there's like these like tribesmen that are just, you know, canoeing by the boat. And they're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> You know, when, when, when Heidi saw them, she knew that they were in the Amazon. When I saw those Amazonian boatmen. <laughs> she knew instantly. Instantly. Get right one girl, it. two girl, three girl, four girl, Christy. Bing, Heidi, bells ring in her head. She's got it. The pattern. All girls. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because we're just tearing her apart on this. Because, you know, and it, it's actually a pretty astute observation. If you were out there... Uh, you know, as one of the 16 uh, people out there, and Jeff called out the first four being girls, you might think, oh, well, he's calling out four girls, and he'll call out four boys, and he calls out the fifth girl. You're like, well, there's no way there's going to be uneven. So she's just saying something pretty matter-of-fact. She's saying, when I saw the fifth girl, I knew it was going to be an all-girls tribe. But Heidi being Heidi, and, you know, kind of assuring all of her dominance to the rest of the world, it's just a super funny clip, because, I mean, she's so sure of herself. She's like, when I heard the fifth girl, it's like, so did we, Heidi, so did we, so did frickin' everybody out there. I gotta say, it's very progressive thinking, because if you put two and two together, Heidi is clearly labeling the deaf person as an actual human being and a female. So that's very progressive on Heidi's part. That is a step up. That is a step yes. up. Yes. Because later in the season, I'm not entirely sure she thought Genoa uh, Christie was a person. Heidi knew when there was an axis in the middle, it was a wheel they were supposed to spin. <laughs> Instantly. Instantly she knew that. And I should point out, when Heidi crossed that finish line, she knew instantly that they'd won the challenge. The minute I felt thirst in my stomach, I knew that we needed water. I knew instantly. Instantly, yeah. But when you know, I saw that granola bar in the fire, I knew instantly that we weren't going to eat it. <laughs> we know when, when Heidi saw Dina take her shirt off, she just knew instantly that Dina was older and bigger than her. <laughs> she knew instantly yeah, when she said that quote. She was calling Heidi cute. And what was great, because Heidi knew the minute that Dina lined them that they had a four-person alliance. Instantly. She knew instantly, yeah. Instantly. Well, what was funny is, you know, the minute that, that Jabaru crossed the finish line, Heidi knew instantly that Tambaki had lost immunity. Instantly. You know, I was kind of counting. I was just, I was like trying to work in like a, a Heidi knew instantly thing to this challenge, but you beat me to it. Good work. I will say, I will say, uh, just as we're starting this, that uh, when Heidi was watching uh, episode seven at home, she knew instantly that it was the Roger Boot episode. <laughs> you know, when Jeff saw the concept of Redemption Island, he knew instantly that the fans were going to hate it. Heidi, Heidi should be a producer on Survivor because she would just know instantly what the fans would want. <laughs> instantly. Look, I have to say, when she saw that you know there was swelling on her, her knee, she knew instantly. That she got bit. She was bitten <laughs> by she something. Was, that she was bitten by something. She knew instantly. Heidi knew. Was, Heidi knew that if she if she opened her mouth, she would instantly. <laughs> she knew yell instantly, out some curse words would come out. <laughs> instantly. <laughs> You know, when Heidi saw her mom there, she knew instantly that was the woman who gave birth to her. <laughs> instantly. <laughs> what a high IQ that was. There's a lot of boobs in the Amazon in general. 
<laughs> in several ways with Heidi, actually. <laughs> yeah, she has three at the end. Exactly. <laughs> she knew instantly that she was from Mars. When Ryan Aiken saw that jet ski, he knew instantly it was a cheap one. I speak on behalf of several listeners when I say as soon as I asked for clips for this podcast, I think they knew instantly that this <laughs> would be on there. And uh, some people who got really sick of that joke probably just, you know, fast forwarded their podcasting app by like, you know, hit that 15 button a few times. Yeah, they've heard it enough. And, I sh- <laughs> and I should also mention again, that is not my music accidentally playing in the background. That is a song called uh, conveniently enough, in an instant, by a man named Richie Kotzen. I did not know who this man was beforehand. Through the magic of Google, I was able to find him. So now we've been access to uh, more new artists as a result. So win-win. Well, again, like the other uh, music played in the background, I did not know instantly that that was intentional. <laughs> um, Heidi has one up on you then. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You can't compete with that IQ. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, when we transition from Amazon into Pearl Islands, this is my last season before I take a break for a while. And I think what really comes out of, uh, Survivor Pearl Islands is that the historians really embrace their, you know, not great abilities, but an ability to do impressions. And, uh, uh, Paul, do not put yourself down there. I would say at least one of the historians does a fantastic impression of a Pearl Islands castaway. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I had practice. Oh, before, no, I was talking but... about Jay is Krista. Oh, Jay is Krista. Yeah, well, you know, uh, <laughs> Jay's Krista kind of got really weird with you. I was always Sandra, and then I feel like, you know, that, that Jay and... Mario kind of got jealous of that, so they kind of took their impressions of Krista and Rupert to the next level in this kind of awkward scene. All right, this is this is where they go into the baby talk, right? Where Rupert and Krista are doing all the baby talk, the baby, 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 baby. <laughs> and that's where John throws out the phrase that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yep, and I would like to point out that the uh, baby talk between. Krista and Rupert was still not considered as annoying as Lil at this point, but if you're on a sliding scale, so just throwing that out there. Oh, well, thanks, Mario. (laughs) I love you, Krista. (laughs) I want to place kisses down your neck. Wow. That's uh, quite... That's that's erotic. But uh, you know... Rupert Rupert doing phone sex? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to do it, but it would be really funny. Where would you like me to touch you? (laughs) I'll do it. I don't care. I'm Uh, placing wet nipples on your thigh. (laughs) I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Yeah, so it kind of makes me uncomfortable to hear that. What about you, Mike? Very, very uncomfortable, just because it's it's a dialogue I never want to hear again. And I believe, actually, that after the podcast and going into the first listener questions that you guys did before jumping into, as you said, the, the apprentice of it all, Mario actually asked for, like, the worst piece of dialogue that you could hear Rupert reading in his phone sex voice. So clearly he's steering into the curve now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just thought that Krista, you know, no one really does a, a Krista, and then, you know, Jay took it and ran with it, so kudos to him. 
All right. So we are not finished with Pearl Islands, though. As Even though I jokingly disparaged your Sandra impression before, Paul, it is contest winning. So I really can't, uh, you know, talk down it too much. So I wanted to use an opportunity to tie that Sandra impression into the, the general Pearl Islands coverage as a representation. And you told a really funny story because... In winning the contest, you got to friend Sandra on Facebook, and you saw a conversation between her and Lil in preparation for your final part of Pearl Island. So let's take a listen to that. I want to add this. I I say this. I found this a long time ago on uh, Sandra's actual Facebook page. Sandra accepted me as a friend on her real Facebook page when I won her contest many, many years ago. And there's a picture of, ironically, of Lil and Sandra holding hands. At um, at some event, it looked like I don't know if they changed after the finale or after they because they're wearing kind of those weird outfits and stuff because they aren't wearing what they were wearing at the reunion. But anyway, there's the two of them in front of the Survivor Pearl Islands logo, and Sandra up- uploaded this and has the 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 little caption Survivor Finale 2003 with Lil all caps. Lil Morris comments on the picture. Oh my gosh, Sandra, where did you get this picture? Sandra writes, Lil the computer, go to Google Images and write your name, Big Baller. <laughs> Lil writes back, sorry, what is Big Baller? <laughs> Sandra writes, Big Baller is you, Mrs. Big Time, spelled T-Y-M-E. All good, Lil, nothing bad. <laughs> so I, I love this little interaction between Sandra and Lil um, years after the fact. That seems legit. <laughs> it sucks and so do you. <laughs> where'd you where'd you get that picture go on the on the computer go to google <laughs> type your name <laughs> type your name big baller what is what is big baller sandra <laughs> <laughs> what is big baller <laughs> you mean bawling like crying big baller <laughs> big baller yeah lil is the biggest baller i've ever seen and she cries a lot so the question is, we are seeing Sandra currently out on Survivor Game Changers. What do you think the chances are that she has called someone Big Baller on the island? You know, that's the thing, Big Baller, I've never really heard outside the context of this picture. That's what I think is great about Sandra is that, you know, she does have a, you know her, her set list of, of little things that she says that we know to expect and whatnot. But then sometimes she'll just come up with something like, you know, of course Sandra would say something, you know, calling Lil a big baller, but you've never actually heard it before and you might not hear it again. And I think that's what makes her a one-of-a-kind character is that, you know, she never misses a beat. She always has something funny to say or to write, even if uh, the audience isn't going to pick up on what she's doing there. <laughs> yeah, one of the highlights for me is definitely when you guys uh, jokingly misinterpreted big baller as big baller, B-A-W-L-E-R. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another, uh, you know, that would have been another possibility. That was pretty logical. <laughs> um, so, you know, before we, we jump into the next clip here, I, I do want to take a second to talk about the transition, what happened in between Pearl Islands and All-Stars, because obviously I go absent for quite a while here. This is the time that I was leaving um, to go uh, live and work in Germany for a year, and that transitioned into my, my next job afterwards where I was working in Chicago and still very busy. So I took the time off from the podcast, and somehow by the time I came back, you were on the show. So uh, just like we gave our first, you know, seven, eight minutes at the beginning of the podcast about how we, you know, found Survivor and got in the show. Can you remind everyone about, how, you know, your history with Survivor and, and how you got onto the historians? 
Yeah, so I had been a longtime Survivor fan and Survivor listener, especially to the Survivor historians. You know, I had been a big follower of Mario from his original MySpace days on the Funny 115. So to hear him actually have a voice and be on a podcast talking about these old seasons was super fun for me. But at the time, I mean, I was a very much a closeted Survivor fan. In college, I tried to get, you know, get people I knew into watching the show, into watching Chana and Micronesia. They stuck around for that, but sort of left afterwards. Uh, back in the day, I used to watch it with my family, but they dropped off as well to the point of where I was only watching, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, etc. was just me watching alone in my room. So I thought, at least in my inner circle, that nobody was watching Survivor. It was a totally dorky show and not a cool thing to do. And of course, me being the pinnacle of cool, I know I didn't want to associate myself with that. But when the time came that, you know, as you said, a good, like, five to six months passed between you guys doing the first listener question and the second one where Mario and Jay were sort of stalling for time a bit or trying to figure out exactly how to handle your situation in Germany. And they said, okay, we're officially now holding a contest. I thought, you know, I'd never done anything like this before in terms of podcasting. I'd obviously come from a theater background, an improvisational background, a radio background, but I never exactly thought that I'd be able to do it. So I submitted myself. Uh, The first round I talked at even a quicker pace than I do now, which might seem impossible, but I talk, I remember talking very quickly and very nervously with Mario and Jay about, uh, I think the question that I asked was, what season of Survivor, quote-unquote, poisoned the well, in that, you know, it, it sort of uh, made the franchise what it is today, which some might say is a lesser product, and we were all in agreement that it was Cook Islands, and I think from there, between that right. and my, time, my timed Holocaust joke, uh, I think... You know, it was a match made in heaven. So I came on for the second round as a finalist, talked about Survivor Nicaragua, which we have not gotten to yet. Uh, Who knows if we ever will, so I'll have an opportunity to talk about that again. But I was very, very fortunate to be chosen. And, you know, from there, I have been extremely lucky to be able to parlay that into many other appearances on podcasts, talking about Survivor and a vast variety of TV shows. Yeah, it's you know it's funny. One of the the jokes that we kind of have going on in the show is that Mike and I actually don't like each other, and that you know he took my spot, and and then he you know became this podcasting star, and and that's all thanks to me. But it was funny because I wanted to dig up our because I remember the first time we I think I was I remember being in the car somewhere. Or I can't even remember exactly when you wrote me for the first time. I can't remember where I am. Normally I'm really good about recalling exactly where I am when I when I saw something. But you had um. Uh, had met you had added me as a friend on Facebook, and I re- just went back to go dig this up right now because I guess you added me, and then I like took a really long time to accept your friend request. Oh, Do you remember come on, this, Paul? Do you Keep remember me that? Dangling. I don't well, remember we, that. I, I think I okay. remember our first conversation briefly, but you might have to uh, right. refresh my memory on that one. Well, because you had wrote me and you had said, "Yo, thanks for the accept. Enjoy on historians." Um, and then you you complimented my uh, my Sandra impression, so it was good even back then. And then I had to write back and I say. Haha, hey Mike, sorry I didn't accept you earlier. Somehow your request got mixed in with some others. I didn't see it till today. <laughs> so <laughs> you liar. <laughs> I I think you did get stuck down. Or, or maybe you did. I didn't realize who you were right away or something. I don't know, but that's kind of awkward. But that's how we uh, that's how we started off. <laughs> yeah, and did we also have, we were talking about like I think we even briefly just talked about historians, but we were mostly talking about like the most recent Survivor episode, right? Because that was probably during like Kagayan or something. Well, we first start off, I ask about, you know, have you enjoyed being on The Historian so far? And you like it, um, even though you were talking about All-Stars. 
Um, and then, uh, and then from that, then we moved into, uh, with your first appearance on RHAP and then we started talking about that in the, the season of, of Kagayan. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, good times. We started off on the right foot. Me ignoring your, uh, your request. Look at listening back to, to all-stars. I was, I still think I was very awkward at the time. My audio quality is much like the, the Mario J and Beatles from the first podcast. And that I believe I was recording from my kitchen in my super small first New York apartment, uh, with just like a pair of Apple earbuds in my ear. So very uh-huh. different to these, the setup that I have today. But you know, I, I think that even though we all really did not like survivor all-stars, especially after the fifth episode, we were able to find some light there. Right, and you know, one of the scenes that I really wish I could have podcasted about in Survivor All Stars is, you know, one of the best. He could be considered with the All Stars for the best characters, and that's a man by the name of Rafa. Yeah, I heard that uh, Jenna Lewis approved of the shelter because Rupert promised there'd be a glory hole in it. <laughs> temp, well done, Temp. <laughs> I'm speechless. That was that was that was beautiful. We've earned, we've earned our explicit rating on iTunes. Well done, Tim. <laughs> so that means now that I've, we've earned it, we can just break all barriers, right? Well, yeah, once you cross the barrier, yeah, it's like breaking the sound barrier. And on to the beach cabin, off to Jamie Gum's death pit. And I love it. We get the walk up, right? You can just see Rafa's face as they're walking up. Like, he's so deadpanning, but you can just see his face. He's just like, what? Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. No. <laughs> so like they get there, and what's funny is that you know Jeff's like this is Rafa. He's a licensed contractor. He's gonna go, and then Rupert, of course, just trying to sell the cabin. I'm like, look, it's a log cabin. I built it down on the beach. You can stand down here, you know. And then Rafa just you know he's ignoring him. And he's going inside, and it's like he starts to think, but you could see like unlike Mogo Mogo's shelter in Spears, like you can see he's like getting a firm grip on something and shaking. Like he literally just punches things, and things are just falling apart. You know, and then Rupert's just the everything that was loose he touched, and I was like, he's just he was he literally banged on your roof, and it like you know yeah. went up with your fist. Like, what do you mean everything that was loose? Your entire shelter? Yeah. Well, he definitely made the oh my god shelter. Yeah. I did like how Rupert tried to cover up the stump by calling it a footrest log. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we built that in here. It's, 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 this, is a, this is a log. Uh, I love what he says. He's like, this is a log. <laughs> I couldn't get it out of the sand, so it's, it, it stays. It's like he doesn't care. He just sees that you dug a hole in the beach and, and, and not even a fully square hole because there is a root sticking into one of the things. <laughs> Uh, I also like the quote where like he's just like Rafa comes up and then Rupert's like I saw his face when he walked into the hut he didn't like down well it's like no you you literally built an underground coffin Rupert <laughs> yes so anyway Shapira doesn't win or uh, Saboga doesn't win correct no he doesn't you know and he's like talking about like outside where like they've got the roof like this really crappy roof that like has just a couple of palm fronds on top and then Rupert's like look we have this like shoot and we can catch rainwater and it's like well you could just hold out your hands underneath because i don't think that your roof is you know waterproof here <laughs> well just wait for the rain system <laughs> yeah just wait for the rainwater to come up from your ankles up to your mouth when you can drink it it'll work real well <laughs> you know and, and it's just like the music and everything and then what's funny is at the end you know jeff's just like well here's the deal rafa's gonna deliberate i'm gonna deliberate with rafa and uh if you win uh plane will come by drop off a package if you get second place, uh, key will come in your tree mail. And if not, I hope it keeps you dry. Yeah. 
And I have to say, I really miss those paradrop rewards where they drop them in from the parachute. Sure. Those were fun because you always get the shots of them celebrating at camp. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But before we get there, we have to get Rafa's thing where, like, Jeff is talking with Rafa literally, like, within earshot of Saboga because, you know, at this point they're like, oh, come on. They know they're not winning. You know, <laughs> like, let's just discuss it right now. And, you know, like, Rafa's like, Saboga? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Did you, no. like, should have done the sign of the cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then could, have used a gl- could have used a glory hole. <laughs> yes, that's what Rafa was looking for. Glory hole is the key. <laughs> it's a linchpin in the design. I love, like, Jeff, of course, you know, which is, he's like, you wouldn't want to live here. Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> He's, he's dangerous. The water? And he's like, it's the water's going to go in. And like Rupert and like Ethan, they're talking. It's like, Ethan's like, yeah, they're talking about how like this thing's going to get flooded. And Rupert's just like, he's just like, he can't even believe that, you know, he built a bad shelter, which is like the best thing ever. <laughs> Poor Rupert. Poor Rupert. So then we get the thing. And, you know, of course, Jeff's like, bring it in. The winner is. And then we get the scene where like they're all looking. And, you know, there, there's lots of fun things that go on just with the paradrop. Like, even the paradrop's fun because, you know, the, the plane comes, it finally drops its thing, and you get, like, the whole thing from, like, Shapira and Mogamogu where they're like, drop it, drop it, drop it. And then you see Saboga kind of looking up at the plane, and then, you know, the plane drops the thing, or, like, it flies by Saboga Beach, you know, and, like, Rupert comes out of the shelter, like, oh, here, c- oh, it isn't us. Oh. Nobody else even looks up. <laughs> It's the last time I give Rafa anything, except to vote. Except to vote. <laughs> Maybe a vote. Gotta love Rafa. Gotta love those scenes. Gotta love everything with, uh, you know, Rupert and uh, and the Saboga tribe and, you know, digging that hole. And th- that's one of the, the few things from All-Stars that I really am, you know, sad that I wasn't on for the, the show uh, to talk yeah. about. I mean, you could argue that that third episode, despite Jenna quitting, is really maybe the best episode of Survivor All-Stars. Considering yes, that it just has, yes. you know, I, I cut out, because we talk about the the Rafa visit for a while because he visits all three camps. But even at, like, Shapira, where they're, like, pushing him on the swing and he's clearly very nonplussed about it or just making comments about it. But the Saboga stuff is just so fun. And I, I tried to couple in there in the beginning the joke I made about Jenna Lewis asking for a glory hole in their yes. shelter, which is a low blow, but I think fits right in line with Mario's African things joke. Right. I mean, you were, you were definitely trying to, you know, make it so you could make it to Vanuatu. So you had to pull out all the stops and I respect that. And I'm very happy that we made it to Vanuatu because this was definitely one of the seasons, you know, I feel like one of our MOs on the Survivor Historians in investigating some of these older seasons and going back is that we get to sort of give seasons another chance and really give the pitch for why some seasons deserve a rewatch. And I feel like Vanuatu, for me, is almost chief among them. Going in... I sort of had middling reactions to Vanuatu because the first time I saw it, I don't know about you, Paul, but I mean, I was really rooting for the women to pull it out. And so to have this guy be able to sleazily, smarmily, bullshittingly make his way through this alliance of women, break his way through, find his little crack to quote worry and and win his way in the end was just sort of a dour ending. But Getting to look back at it, and especially getting to talk with the man himself, Chris Doherty, I was able to see a lot of really great things about Vanuatu that I didn't initially. Yeah, no, it's really, uh, like you said, really fun to talk about a season like Vanuatu that your initial reaction is not that great of a season. It's really fun to talk about a season that's stronger on a rewatch. It's really fun to help kind of, you know, change 
you know, even reflect on your own views on a season and try to get other people to view a season in a different light. So another season that I'm, I'm bummed that I didn't get to be a part of because, you know, I have a lot of respect for Vanuatu. Well, we are not done yet talking about the sort of NPCs, the non-players of Survivor, because we move from one native of Panama and Rafa into the natives of a Vanuatu village that I believe it was Amy, Eliza, Chris, and Chad, I want to say, got to visit at the Final Eight Reward. And we had a lot to say about this. I mean, it sort of spins off into its own entire bit about Vanuatu culture. All right. So, yeah, they win. They get to go to the village. They bring their pig. And this is where the pig pees on the plane, right? Yeah. Good old pig peeing on the plane. And I love the, the, like, complete failure failure on the producer's part where, like, they walk to the village and... The, the chief takes the pig and he gives them another pig and they just kind of leave the pig by the bench and just pretend to forget about the pig. This it's sort a of, pig exchange program. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really funny, though, because, you know, Jeff's like, you have to bring the pig. It's a custom. You bring a pig, right? So, the, you know, that was like their one thing. I totally get it. Like, they are in this, you know, as Chris uh, correctly sort of narrates, you know, when he says he's just like, being in that village, it was like we were in a whole other world. Right, because you know they get to this place and everyone's dressed up and they meet them and it's just this incredible scene, right? And I mean, it's like their one job that they know. They're like, we're gonna probably see some culture and dancing, and we'll probably get food at some point. But our one job is we have to get this pig delivered. Yeah. So like, they're just like, who's the pig person? Who do we who do we do this pig? Can we just get this pig out of the way? So finally, like the chief comes up. And the chief's like, here, thanks for the pig. And then he just gives them another pig. <laughs> well, what I was thinking, they exchange a white pig for the black pig. So it's like a Vanuatu busing program. Wow. And then Rory comes on and says, yeah. like, oh, no. This pig on the auction block now? <laughs> I don't take too kindly to black pigs being exchanged for white pigs. So I love that you went there. My like my thought was always that they had like a decently sized pig, and the guy gave him back like a smaller pig. It could be, and no, that was my I, thing. Was he was like, oh, thanks for this slightly you know grown pig. Um, here <laughs> here's some bullshit. Grow this for us. Yeah, I just I just think they didn't want to deal with the pig at all. I think the pig was just annoying them. They're like, I fuck this. I don't want another pig. In yeah, camp. <laughs> I get the feeling that like like that was like a practical joke that some of the Vanuatuans like played on Jeff and the producers. They're like, no dude, if you go to that camp, you totally have to bring a pig. Like it is such, it's, it's, it's like our custom or something. You totally have to do it. And then they like show up the pig and they're like, probably the village was like, what the fuck are they doing with the pig? <laughs> and this footage shows up later on like Vanuatu's funniest home videos. Like watch what we did to this American reality show. Watch what we did to these white people. Yeah. Why, why are they bringing a pig? This is totally dumb. <laughs> All right, well, what do we do? Hey, hey, I have an idea, Jerry. Why don't you accept the pig and then just give them another one back and see what they do? Ah, <laughs> oh, the casual conversations between Vanuatu tribesmen. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Uh, so not true. But I did like the you fact... You know what? I love you guys. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think you're drunk. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right. No, I, I do like the fact that Chris did narrate. He was just like, we got the pig and they seemed very generous. And then they gave us a pig and we were like, we don't want it. So we just <laughs> left it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Seinfeld word for that, like repigged or something. The, the, the Vanuatu version of Seinfeld? Yeah. Repigifted or something. It's called Da. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's called Da. <laughs> <laughs> 
What's the deal with all this manioc? <laughs> Fun fact about this one. I had actually never seen Seinfeld at the point that I made this joke, but I, I, once it came onto Hulu, I was able to rectify that mistake very quickly. Um, would you be shocked to find out that I still have never seen Seinfeld? Nope, I had just <laughs> made the blanket assumption, and that turned you out just to be assumed. terrifying. Like, it's like, it's like, you know, for like most people, if you see you make a reference like that, somebody, you know, you have to call out, like, I actually haven't seen it. For me, it's like, just make no comment on anything, and if I actually have seen something other than Survivor, then I pipe up and say that I've actually seen it. So, uh, assumption is I haven't seen it. It's nothing rude. It's just sort of like, we, we know you well enough at this point that if it's not directly affiliated with Survivor or some of the other random aspect of pop culture. And it's also, you know, Seinfeld premiered like around the time both of us were born. So if you didn't catch it around the first time, it, it right. takes a, a little while before, as I said, again, it's only just come to streaming services. So it was tough to become easily accessible for you to be able to re-engage that part of pop culture. Yeah. Um, and I think that the scene was so funny with the Kava that we we're going to see something similar of that, um, you know, a few seasons down the line and maybe even with a funnier uh, little voice, which I can't wait to hear. Uh, another season that I didn't get to talk about was Palau. And the funniest part about Palau for me was the fact that, you know, my replacement, Mike Bloom, the temp, he was able to find his own gene on a season. Yeah, see, I can't really make fun of you for, like, psychoanalyzing Paul, you know, he has this hatred of Gene, let's laugh at him, when, like you said, I had my own deep-seated hatred for a Survivor castaway, and even going into my Apprentice interviews, I knew this was a fact, so I'm happy that I got to get on and be able to make our way to Palau to really give out my my hatred, I'll use the term hatred, and general <laughs> yes. dislike of one Karen Grodel, fifth-place contestant on Survivor Palau. <laughs> But she also, the, the weird thing is that Karen specifies this incident where I guess she threw a stick in the fire and Katie told her not to throw the stick in the fire. And let's, this is also weird because this is also not the first time in this, in this season where Karen brings up the example of throwing a stick in a fire. <laughs> so clearly there was something happened where Karen threw a stick into a fire that is a traumatizing moment in her life. So Karen's like Butch. They're trying to head her off before she burns down everything. Exactly. Maybe. Do, 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 do you think that Karen believes in herself? <laughs> oh, God, no. Karen would be the... I could actually see Karen as, like, a principal, but as, like, the Trunchbull from Matilda, as, like, the worst school principal ever. I don't see Karen swinging kids by their hair and, like, throwing them like the hammer throw, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Trunchbull reference. But, like, I... Yeah, Karen, I mean... She, you're right, though, Mike. She does bring the stick in the fire because she talks about it with Tom, like the fact that everyone's worshiping Tom, right? And so, yeah. you know, you know, everyone goes to Tom for things like, oh, Tom, can I throw this stick in the fire? Oh, it's like, I don't need to go to Tom to throw a stick in the fire. And then she talks about it with Katie, like, I threw a stick in the fire and you criticized it. Like, oh, you shouldn't have thrown like, Come on, Katie. I'm a grown person. I can do what I want. And then, so are we saying that Ozzy in Micronesia made a Karen reference when he talked about Eliza throwing the stick in the fire? That's right. <laughs> It's meta. Well, I love that they picked Ian, whose dad happens to own a construction company, so Ian knows exactly what to pick. Can you imagine if they pick someone like Karen to be the representative, and she's like, which one's a hammer? Well, which she would one's just, the saw? She would pick everything that looks like a stick and throw it in the fire. <laughs> it's like, oh, you gonna, you gonna, you going to criticize that? You going to tell me what to do? I could throw a stick in a fire. <laughs> 
And then Karen is annoyed that she can't throw a stick in the fire without Tom's permission. <laughs> Ooh, Tom. Oh, Tom. Let me throw the stick in the fire, Tom. <laughs> Mike, you love Karen. I, she is my <laughs> fire in my soul that I will throw a stick in. <laughs> and then Angie comes up there and just absolutely obliterates Karen. Yeah, Angie versus Karen. It's like, this is fair. It was God, great I wish Mike, I, yeah, Mike was applauding. I was going to say, I wish I was Angie in that moment. If I could, like, quantum leap into any anybody, it would be Angie in those in that one minute. Oh, my God, a quantum leap reference. It was a good old-fashioned cat fight with Karen. Ugh. Uh, sell that cat. I don't want that cat. But do, you, do, you, do you think that your leap out of the body would be pushing Karen in the water? Like, that seems too easy of an episode for Sam. No, it would probably be, like, rolling Karen into a fire. <laughs> what, is she a stick? <laughs> no, that's Janu. Well, the interesting thing is that uh, the reason that there, Willard is shown to go home based on the scene at night is because he doesn't put a stick in the fire. <laughs> Listen to Karen for crying out loud. You see the true wrath of what happens when you don't put a stick in the fire like Tom tells you to. Oh, God, I didn't even catch that. Well done. Well done, Temp. It's not just one thing to go out there and try to be positive and, and say nice compliments, but you sort of have to make it sound good. And I mean, Tom does say, because Janu's just like, I'm so tired, I don't have it, I don't think I can make it. And Tom says, I admit it, you don't have it today. <laughs> but you're going to have it in the future. And to me, I'm like, I, I listen to that, I'm like, oh, he's good. Yep. That's a really good line. Why don't you rest up, get your strength back, throw a stick in the fire, you'll feel <laughs> a lot better. <laughs> New adventures. It would have been really funny if Karor tore down their, like, luxury shelter and used the materials to make the signal. That would have been pretty good. That would have been a hell of a lot of sticks they could have thrown in the fire. Well, to be fair, Janu's legs are like sticks, so he's just <laughs> doing Tom proud. Do we just want to throw another Janu in the fire, Tom? <laughs> Is that what we want? Yeah, to be fair, if Bobby John had won and he made it to Karor, he would be gone. Yeah. Like, he had no ties with anybody. It's not like Steph where he had a day one alliance or anything. He was walking in there completely blind, huge physical threat, has a whole story under his belt. He is gone. Yeah, he's going he's to walk in there, he's going to throw a stick in the fire, and Tom's going to kill him. I'll, I'll say she, she, to her credit, she did a nice job of behaving in the mentality of someone that knew that she was going home. On the flip side, she wasn't acting that much far outside of her herself. <laughs> like, all she did was just sit around and be, like, despondent, which isn't that much separate from who Karen is as a person. So, yes, <laughs> I will commend her for her, for her performance of someone being, of being, of going home. But this isn't, like, a Daniel Day-Lewis performance here. This is, this is Karen being slightly more miserable than she is already. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if it were Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> You know what I will do, Katie? I will drink your milkshake. <laughs> My left stick. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, Karen. You know, it's it, it's funny for me to see this now from the other perspective because, like, Karen's not someone that I thought that much about, but it's, like, really fun to hear your perspective and why she drives you nuts. And, you know, I just was having the conversation in some online group not that long ago about someone, I can't remember who their person was. They called it, you know, their Gene or their Karen. And it's funny how we all kind of have these people. And even if I don't agree with you or really understand why Karen is that person for you, I can totally respect that she is your Gene. Yeah, and this was just like a little taste because, uh, you know, if I cut out every time that I bitched about Karen, it would probably be an uh, an hour longer of a podcast. But I thought this was a nice example about how, for some reason, Karen is just fixated on this idea in the beginning about, you know, how people shouldn't be throwing sticks into the fire. And she uses it both as like a criticism, but then also as like a veiled sarcastic threat against somebody in these early episodes. So something that I picked up on that I'm glad the other guys sort of ran with for the next couple of pullout podcasts. Yes. Uh, Karen and her sticks. Uh, she does suck. <laughs> well, let's move into, we move out of the first 10 seasons of survivor. We are officially in the second decade. And here we start with survivor Guatemala. Uh, this was one that I took over talking about. This is sort of like my Thailand in a way in that, I still feel like Guatemala is one of the most underrated Survivor seasons out there. I really enjoy it. I know Mario was less so about that, but we still had fun doing this. And, uh, you know, this is definitely less momentous than Gene. But I'd like to think I made a little bit of an impact in the way we view Survivor characters with this metric. It's it's tough, though, because, uh, and not to tangent too much, but I think I brought it up at the end of the Palau podcast, and I'll bring it up here. It goes to mention, other than Bobby, John, and Stephanie, who are returnees onto this season, so they're not original Guatemalans, but no original Guatemalan has come back and played another season of Survivor. And I think that that is, I mean, I think that that is the only season that is the case, uh, excluding mm-hmm. like more modern seasons where there hasn't necessarily been a chance for people to return. Yeah. But it's, it, you know, going back like the first 20, you know, three or four or five seasons or so uh, of this show, Guatemala is the only season where no one has really returned. And because of that, you know, uh, we can argue till we're blue in the face on like, should people deserve to return? Should anyone deserve a return? But the problem is, is that Morgan could be the most obscure survivor player because in theory, Guatemala is the most obscure survivor season. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame when I was watching those DVD interviews this is a really good cast. I mean, there's yeah. just charisma up and down all over the place when you see these interviews with Jamie, Judd, Brandon, Bellinger. I mean, Judd is particularly hilarious in his pregame interview because he says he gets along with everyone. He's never had a person he doesn't get along with. He's always in a good mood, which is just cr- hilarious when you think of that in retrospect. But yeah, I mean, there's just charisma all over the place in this cast. There's some really good casting choices. Like uh, Jamie, he's one in particular. I think he's a really deep character. We'll get a lot about him. And Amy... I mean, we haven't, we barely even talked about Amy so far, but she's fantastic. I mean, there's a, a scene, she's got that thick Boston accent and she's got that scene in episode one where they get woken up by the howler monkey in the, in the jungle, like the, the morning in, of their hike, the second day. And she's like, it sounded like Predator. So, I mean, she's always hitting that Boston accent. So there's some fantastic characters in the season. And yeah, it, it's, it shocks me that nobody's ever brought back, that nobody's even really been considered to bring back. And I just, to me, I just have to think Probes just must not like the season. There's something about the season that gets under his skin. He doesn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. I, I usually use uh, Ashley Ashby from Palau as like the watermark of the replacement value of like, if I replace this person with Ashley Ashby, would this season have gone any worse? And 
<laughs> so uh, with these three women, if we replaced it with Ashley Ashby, it would have been it still would have been fine. So I've considered them like below the Ashley Ashby line. Oh my god, the Ashby line. We need to <laughs> coin this. That's fantastic. That's our new thing. Ashby line. That's going to be the, the name of this podcast. No one will have no, any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> the <laughs> Ashby like, line. Survivor Guatemala historians, the Ashby line. <laughs> yeah, so I'll admit that this has been something I've actually kind of had in the back of my head for years that I didn't actually know if I wanted to throw out there, but... I feel like I'm pretty happy that I did because I do see from time to time, granted it's a little scattered, but some people do sometimes take survivor characters and say whether or not they are above or below the Ashby line. You know, I love this. And, and, you know, um, I would reveal here that I actually never listened, you know, to the survivor historians eight through 11 that I wasn't on. Uh, it was a very busy time for me, which is why I was not on the podcast. So I didn't actually listen to him. I hoped to one day, just like my friend request, it fell to the bottom. (laughs) Right. I know. I I really do want to listen to it. So I was listening to this clip and I was so confused why the Ashby line was considered in Guatemala. I just assumed that this, this term had come when you were podcasting about Palau. So I learned something new in preparation for this podcast, but I think it's brilliant. I understood what it was, even, when I heard about it just, you know, later on in the show, I picked up on it, that it's a very, very great way to measure, you know, what a survivor brings to the show. So I am all about the Ashby line, and I'm really glad that you, you know, brought it to light. Well, thank you. Yeah, it, it, it is, I mean, Mario even talks about it in the clip, how people are going to be very confused that we called the first part of Guatemala Gary right. Hawkins and the Ashby line. But it sort of makes sense when you listen to it in context, because I love Guatemala, but those first four boots are so blasé, at least from an editing perspective, that they're definitely below the Ashby line. So that's where I sort of presented as an argument as to how to measure whether or not Survivor characters are good or bad. And I would argue that everyone who gets booted after after Brooke from Blake onwards is definitely above the Ashby line. Oh, for sure. You know, I love Guatemala, just like you said. I, I'm glad that you were able to take the lead on that and really represent it, even though I haven't listened to it, so I can't tell you if you did a good job or not. But I really like the sentiment because... Uh, out of those four seasons, for sure, Guatemala. I've, I used to always say, I don't know where it ranks exactly now. When people would ask me for my favorite seasons, I would have, you know, the, the typical seasons that you like that you always answer. And then you're one that you kind of feel a special attachment to. And for me, it's always been Guatemala. I've always really, really enjoyed it. So um, uh, I'm really glad that you were able to kind of represent the, uh, you know, the the opinion of, what a great season it actually is. You know, but it's funny because then another thing that we're going to talk about here that a lot of people brought from it was talking about Bobby John's role in Guatemala, <laughs> which he's actually one of my leave, my least favorite parts of it. Like, I don't have like a really strong opinion about him, but he's not something that I really like think about that much with Guatemala. I kind of forget he came back, but you guys sure uh, did justice to uh, Bobby John part two. And we mustn't forget that this is one of the uh, authentic Guatemala challenges of throwing balls and catching them in a net. Which yes, we, they, they were known to do. That's that's all. That's why they got conquered because they spent too much time playing hoop ball and uh, and throwing basket and you know catching balls in stretchers. Yeah, and too many too much time going on mine carts down into sand piles. <laughs> that was really the big dis- distractor for the for the Maya Empire. Yeah, we should have been spending more time pouring molten gold down our enemies' throats, but no, those damn mine carts. <laughs> so, like when the Spanish conquistadors showed up and they were like, "What is this amusement park?" <laughs> well, sir, this is our minecart of death. My and Bobby John. It's okay. <laughs> but on, on Bobby John's side of the story, he claims that he put Jamie in his place. 
Yes. You want to buck up, that's fine, but there's another bear out in the woods, too. Which originally was a Thomas Jefferson quote. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> wow. So he knows that he was, he's watched The Shining and he knows Thomas Jefferson quotes. <laughs> he does. He's a learned man. He's a, a Renaissance man. So he was the third president of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun when I get my eyebrows raised by something Bobby John says, because Bobby John's just like, well, you got to be on the zip line and you got to go through the trees. Let me tell you, it was just and I'm just like shaking my head and writing notes down. Then he says it was majestic. <laughs> there you go. And I was like, well, Bobby, poetic, buddy. Good job. Yeah. But it's just always very funny when they do that, because they're like the Mayans. They they sort of, you know, discovered chocolate and going around. And it's like, yeah, but the whole idea of putting milk and sugar in chocolate, not really a Mayan thing. So, like, then he's just like, you have pralines and chocolate-covered strawberries and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, not really Mayan anymore. Just <laughs> just have to point that out. Well, actually, I believe the Mayans had the chocolate fountain going on when the when the Spanish came to invade them. <laughs> they had the fondue fountain going. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was part of the concessions of their of their uh, you know amusement <laughs> yeah, after, park. After the after the big uh, after the big hoop ball game, everyone had a nice <laughs> feast around the chocolate fountain. What? what yeah, well, the big so, chocolate river. Well, sir, I am Mayan Bobby John. What would you like to do next after your hoop ball game? Would you like to go down the minecart ride, or would you like to <laughs> oh, have the chocolate fountain? Or perhaps you will have sex with me. <laughs> Now I was thinking just like the chocolate river, like where they had the the, alley, the alligator proof cage. You could have the chocolate river, like Augustus Gloop floating by out there. It's like stuff. the worst. I didn't know that there were alligators in Willy Wonka's chocolate river. <laughs> I want, yeah, I it's want a double little, whammy for Augustus. I want little gumdrop min- minnows to be eating out of Bobby John's open sores. <laughs> so we get a, a little historical context quote about you know how the maya tribes would would meet and socialize and then go to war but uh who who do we get that quote from well sir maya and bobby john i just love that and this happens for uh, a few instances too where like bobby john becomes the unintentional expert on the maya culture for the audience (laughs) Yes, that's what I actually what I remember thinking when I was watching Palau. I was watching. I'm thinking, I bet that guy knows a lot about the Maya. <laughs> Steph complains about how Bobby John would just go on and on about the Maya and oolong. <laughs> it was so gay. And actually, Bobby John has a confessional right after that moment where he says he's gonna. He threatens Jamie that he's gonna knock out all his teeth and slam the back of his head. Yeah, I'm a. I'm gonna knock every one of your teeth, slam out of your head, slam out your head. Yeah, I'm gonna knock every one of your teeth, slam out your head. Oh my Which God. originally was a Voltaire quote. <laughs> yes, oh, it's, a, it's a lost line from Candide. Yes. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I only wish that they had brought in Bobby John to tell the story since he is such an expert on Maya culture. Well, sir, there was this Maya goddess, Ishel, and she, <laughs> she done laid with a man, but it was a god, see? But then, but then she done laid with another man, and, and that was no good. And well, sir, people got upset. <laughs> And he Rupert went to his he went to his John Deere and he was like, I am going to drive this John Deere away from you, woman. <laughs> oh boy. I love all the stuff about you know Bobby John being the Mayan expert and that he knows everything about the culture. That was that was really funny. It's gonna make it funnier for me when I when I rewatch Guatemala the next time. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to also acknowledge the Jay Fisher, Bobby John impression, which might be even better than Krista for me in terms of 
not only does it come out of nowhere, but this is also sort of like in the Will Ferrell, George W. Bush territory of like, it's not even an accurate impression. It's just sort of taking a character tick and building it into an entire character. So I haven't been able to hear Welsa before outside of in any environment without thinking of Bobby John now as a result. So I wanted to do that justice. I thought it would be a great way to sort of tie into our, our new painting of Bobby John as sort of this intellectual thinking man who knows everything about the Maya culture. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised we never saw Bobby John again for someone who made such an impact, you know, for those two scenes back to back. Um, he just kind of disappeared forever. And it's, you know, kind of a shame because I, I, I do think that there's more there. And I just want more Jay impressions of Bobby John. So, yeah. that. well, even though Bobby John isn't coming back, somebody did. And Paul, luckily enough, you were able to make a return to the historians after Guatemala. So we officially entered phase three, our current phase of Survivor Historians, and we kicked it off with what I have said many times I consider to be the funniest Survivor season to date overall, Survivor Exile Island. And I feel like our coverage had no scarcity of humor. There were a lot of things that we really had a lot of bits about. So it was, a t- it was tough to only choose a couple of clips from this one. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to jump back into it. It was a perfect season to jump back into um, because there was so much funny to talk about. And I think the Historians does best when we get really funny with things. Um, and so there was plenty of opportunities for jokes and uh, and characters to talk about uh, for, uh, what, did, what did Jay call it? Uh, season 12, Panama, Exile Island or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, Exile Island, Zombie Island, Panama. That was yet another joke was about all of the uh, subtitles that were used. And we started things off with a bang, or I guess I should say a smash, as Mario pointed out a quote from eventual first boot Tina Shear that we used many, many times throughout our coverage of Exile Island. Well, you know, I have to say that one of my more underrated quotes of the season happens during this challenge. And it's where, you know, they're all running out there and the teammates are waiting back <laughs> at the start line to see who's going to come back. And Tina, very concerned about their choice because she mentions that Ruth Marie, she's not a smasher. Like, <laughs> how the fuck would you know she's not a smasher? You've known her for 30 seconds. <laughs> she's not, a, not smasher. a smasher. We shouldn't have picked her. She's not a smasher, and I don't know who it is, but uh, again, I, I alluded to it at the beginning, but as they're going up to the start, some, I think it's one of the older women, it might be Tina, I don't know, they're like, look for the amulet! Look for the amulet! Like, like you know, look and go, so what, what, wait, what am I looking for? Am I... I got a skull, guys. I brought back the skull. We win, right? <laughs> no! Ruth no Marie, amulet. You have to smash. You have to smash, Ruth Marie. Oh, I, oh, I, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm a, not smasher. a smasher. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now it's people who re- will remember Ruth Marie because there's a quote about her. It's the first of uh, Ruth Marie first in Survivor history. Is this anyway, one of the new a- types that you talk about, Jay? From now on, now we have Smashers. <laughs> we have Smashers. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about the Smasher of Cook Island. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's Christina Korea. She's the Smasher. Yeah, clearly, smasher. clearly. Yeah, I thought you. Were, I thought I was just gonna say the Smasher of Cook Islands is the season itself. Nick is. A contestant on Survivor Panama 12 Exile Island. Is he a smasher? I was going to say, he was like the, he's the male smasher, you know? He, he's, no, he's a snake wrangler, and we'll get to that later. Yes, he's a, <laughs> he's a snake wrangler. I hope that's I not a that, masturbation reference. <laughs> it, it, well, it could be. Yeah, which one of the younger men goes down and, and can't unclip? Nick. It's Nick, right? So, so now we know what Nick Nick's not a swimmer. Yeah. Well, he, not a swimmer, not a, a smasher. What is he? No, he's 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 a swimmer. He's just not an unclipper. Oh, okay, not a clipper. It's not personal like it was in Amazon. Plus, there are no balance beams. 
That's a good point. And Melinda's not a digger. Tina gets completely blindsided, having no idea that it was possible that they'd vote out their hardest worker and their most capable outdoors woman. But there's precedent for that. I mean, you know, Deb Eaton, survivor of Australia. That's right. <laughs> so now, if, if Deb did build the shelter made of rocks, would that be worse than the younger men's shelter? I don't know. Deb's, Deb's not a builder. The only Lamina strategy session you're ever going to get is the fact that Terry and Dan, as, as has been established, have an alliance. And Misty and Sally have an alliance. And then Austin and Nick are an alliance. And it's all based on their starting tribes. And Ruth Marie's just there. She's not a smasher, and, so she had to yeah. go. The best part about it all is that they're like out in the raft. She goes, "I'm gonna do a test shot with this thing." Like, "Oh, let's do the let's let's do a, a a test with this when we're out in the middle of you know wherever, however deep out they were." Instead of like, maybe I should do this in the shallow water right by the camp while I do a, a practice shot. <laughs> She's not a spearer. This is almost the first time you really see it. I mean, I know that Terry crushed the amulet challenge in episode one but again that was more based on luck than anything else but you got to see this he smashed it yeah absolutely he's a smasher coach kind of started the whole pooping thing when it comes to pooping he's a smasher (laughs) (laughs) that made no sense but it still worked (laughs) you know what sucks the two older women you have ruth marie and you have sari Two chances to have two older women fall off of that thing into the water, potentially head first. Do either of them get up on there? No, they're the launchers. F this challenge. <laughs> Paul just dropped the mic and left. <laughs> Look, be ba- bring me back at the immunity challenge when we get to drag old women through the sand. Look, <laughs> Paul, Ruth Marie's not a smasher, but she's a launcher. I mean, I can't... <laughs> so what's the role she was sucks. born to play? But it's just really funny because the star of this of this challenge it really is Sally, who just flies through this course. And they, you know, Jeff, of course, is praising Lamina for you know their quick work of the course. And then Kasaya wins. <laughs> no, it's the same thing. Well, because Ruth Marie, she's not a polar. <laughs> she's just and, a sitter. That's all you have to do, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they sit, just... but they have to pull the pin out. Oh, she's, okay. Yeah, now, not a sitter, a smasher, a puller. No wonder she goes home this episode. She said in her exit stuff on the early show that her next adventure was going to be to run from coast to coast, running a, at least a marathon every day and doing this over the course of like two and a half months or something insane. So, wow. yeah, she's kind of crazy. Is that it? Is she a runner then? <laughs> yes, we found what yes. she does. Yes, she's a runner, not a smasher. She's a runner. <laughs> Lamina's going to go after us. I know that they're going to target Bobby above me just because Bobby looks like the stronger guy. I mean, would you rather vote out the yoga instructor or the guy who can cleave a fish in one hack? Yeah, yeah that's, that, what I, that, that's what I meant. That, that, that fish cleaving is going to come back in another <laughs> challenge. That Bobby, he's not a fish cleaver. Yeah, well, so he anyway. Is, he is a fish cleaver, I know, dude. I know. I'm just saying. Shane utters a great quote about Danielle. I don't like Danielle. She's a meatball. Yes. <laughs> oh, a meatball sub. Amber was excited about that. You know, the, the title of this podcast, I just realized, is going to be Meatball, Not a Meatball. It'll be our, our takeoff on the Smasher one from part one, which which took over the internet, as you recall. You know what would be awesome is, you know, when we get the... Uh, we got Chris Doherty to give the introduction to one of our podcasts before. You know, this is Chris Doherty, blah, blah, blah. I'd love if we could get Ruth Marie to come on and say, this is Ruth Marie, and I am most definitely a smasher. And now here's the historians. You know what? I feel like Ruth Marie's voice is so nondescript that any of us could do a Ruth Marie voice <laughs> no and nobody would know. would know the difference. <laughs> no one would know. 
you know, Gitanos. I mean, if you're doing it right, you pronounce the G like an H since Gitanos. But, you know, it's it, it's really good. And it does actually sort of mean gypsies or Romanis in Spanish. So that is that is correct. Well done. It means Romans go home. <laughs> it means smashers. Yeah. <laughs> and Ruth Marie just sheds a tear. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Like, we, we remember the scene from Amazon where they had to smash each other's face. And it's so ironic, you know, in the context of this podcast, that they're doing the same challenge. They just took out the smashers part. Like, they make them all into Ruth Marie non-smashers, and they're going to burn them instead. It's horrible. <laughs> but we'll figure out who's a chopper and who's not a chopper. Exactly. That's, that's the part two. Terry, Terry is not a chopper. <laughs> Terry is not a chopper. You, you honestly think probes and the producers are thinking, you know, Danielle and Aris would make such a fantastic winner. Let's make sure Terry doesn't win. Like, I, that doesn't they're even like, make sense at all. They're like, we effed up when we forgot to rig it for Ruth Marie. Like, let's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Damon, we put they... the smashing challenge in. <laughs> Who would have thought that Ruth Marie would have such an impression on the Survivor historians? I know. She used to be just part of that really good gif, and now uh, now look what she did for the online community. Yeah, though, though, to be fair, I mean, she's more so known as being not a smasher than really anything else. <laughs> That's true. She's she's not a smasher. Yeah, and I loved that we were able to carry that through the the entire podcast and even forward. Yes. Um, you know, there's another moment that we wanted to make sure we highlighted on Exile Island. Surprisingly enough, it's not a Lamina member. I know how much we love the Lamina <laughs> tribe on Survivor Exile Island. Uh, but no, it's uh, it's you know, someone that Mario had a lot of fun with his impression, uh, who unfortunately, you know, ends with a, a very tragic ending because he's not able to take a Cecilia. So Bruce is not doing well, and he's moaning, and he's in pain. And uh, he's over there in it, sort of in the hut or in the one part, and he's just, you know, moaning in just absolute patheticness. And, of course, the person to come <laughs> see Bruce is Courtney. I mean, we, we cannot deny here. One of the amazing things about this scene is that the two people Bruce are left with is not the nurse or the most caring normal individuals on the tribe, but it's Shane and Courtney are his caretakers for the next several hours. And, and this you, makes you, it even so amazing. Yeah. And you can see the care. I mean, you can see Courtney is concerned and she just leans over him and she's just like, what's going on? And Bruce is just like, ah, oh, it's my stomach. It just hurts so bad. Uh, and Courtney's like, D- do you want me to sing for you? Yeah, will no. that help? <laughs> no. And then she and then does it anyway. Well, what I love is that, you know, he says, will that help? No. Okay. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, you get the subtitle, stop, don't. <laughs> so, yes, so well, she sings anyway, no, don't, don't. And then they finally go and, you know, basically you see like a, a jump cut and then Bruce is, basically says, uh, you know, hey, I think this is kind of an emergency. I, I need the medics to get here. And so basically, you know that the medical team is coming. So then you see the boat come <laughs> and here comes the medical team and you get the nice doctors. All right, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> They're always what's Australian. To- yeah, always. <laughs> All right, Bruce. What seems to be the problem? <laughs> <laughs> My butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's weird to me that like, the only previous time that we've seen someone medevac before at this point is Mike Scoop in Australia. So it's weird. To, it's jarring. Like when in Australia, you're like, okay, this makes sense that the doctor is Australia, but we're in Panama and the doctor is still Australian. <laughs> that doesn't add up. <laughs> and what's, what's the two oh. medevacs in survivor history? The guy who fell in the fire and burned his face and hands off 
or the guy who had to poop. You know, and it's tough because Bruce is just, I mean, this is, uh, what's funny is that we're making fun of it, but I mean, this is just a horrific situation. Like, uh, Bruce has endured a ton of pain at this point, even to be there. So, you know, m- much love to you, Bruce, because man, that is that is ridiculous uh, amount of pain that you were in. But what's fun is that the medic gets out there, and it's like, I know that those medics are all well-trained and well-educated and all this stuff, but I mean, he just is out there and he's like, all right. Uh, and you know he, he takes he, he loosens Bruce's clothes and he basically starts feeling down the abdomen to see where the pain is and he gets down to sort of the the, the stomach sort of region there and Bruce you know yells out in pain and stuff like that and he's just like yeah give me your appendix I don't know <laughs> you know and he's just like hey, he's just he's just shooting in the dark at this point you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's why they kept him as Australian because I feel like with the Australian accent it always sounds so chipper even if it's the most dour of Bruce keep a stiff it's like you got like uh, three hours to live. <laughs> Tough on you. <laughs> Tough on you. I'm gonna put an IV in, and uh, I'll be back in two shakes. <laughs> That's, there's a great, there's a great little underrated moment right here where they're in the shelter. They're kind of all by themselves. Bruce and the doctor. Bruce is moaning and writhing in pain, and Courtney decides at that moment to pop in. You getting any better? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not, not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well then uh, you know from a larger perspective I be- keep making these points about um, about how these episodes are kind of setting things up for seasons to come and we've gone so long in Survivor history with no medevacs not since season 2 and now we kind of break the seal on this and that every other season we're going to have 1 to 2 medevacs so I think it's another um, reminder of that this season really does kind of pave the way for where Survivor is going to go from here on out they do cover up because, you know, there are people in other seasons that have had problems. They've fed IVs right. into people and they haven't shown it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they have to sort of show them yanking them out of the game. But, I mean, with Scoopin's injury, I mean, that was so horrific. Mike Scoopin falling in the fire. I mean, everyone looks at that and immediately understands, like, oh, my God, that guy is in serious, serious trouble. We need to pull him out of the game. But then you have Bruce. And, I mean, yeah, his condition's serious. But this is not I've burned my hands off. You know, this is, like, internal as in, you know, his, his, his bladder and, and stuff is all blocked. And and that's something that you can't necessarily see on the outside. And so it's just he's in pain and the medics come and they're like, well, I'm going to have to pull you out. And it's like, oh, they do that. They can do that on Survivor. Absolutely. Yeah. So the yeah, the the medic in his chipper Australian way decides this guy's going to die. We got to yank him from the game. <laughs> and so, yeah, so they, they need help carrying the stretcher. Until yeah, Shane, we're gonna. This yeah, is, yeah, so this is we we passed the Courtney part, uh, the highlight of this night. Now we get to the Shane part, where first of all, uh, the the doctor is like telling Shane what's going on. It seems like Shane is like a medical expert of like he's like, well, here's what's going on. I can't rule out his appendix, and Shane's like, yeah, got, yep, right, that's right. Yep, but, I, yeah, can, yeah, well, you can't rule that out. I, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't if I were you. <laughs> Oh, uh, by the like, way, uh, if you just want to look at my penis briefly, uh, I got something going on down there. <laughs> and he's just, just all right. We're gonna we need the stretcher up here. I'm uh, I'm gonna need your hands. I'm gonna need your hands for the stretcher. Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, absolutely. Do we, right, do we need to do this uh, right this second? <laughs> yes, yes. We're gonna need we're gonna do this right now. <laughs> do we need to medevac him right this moment? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> so yeah, you guys just... don't mind. I'm naked. <laughs> Yeah, this is where the, the most awkward part of this whole scene is Shane's going to be naked the entire rest of the scene. So he comes in and he just says, sorry guys, I'm naked. Uh, if anyone's <laughs> got a problem, uh, I, I got these, I can't, these, these pants, I, I can't sleep in wet pants. <laughs> he even gets a little confessional like off to the side where he just turns to the camera. He's like, 
I can't sleep in wet pants. And they <laughs> subtitle it. It's the greatest little subtitle. I'm naked. I can't sleep in wet pants. It's the best. So then, so then you get the scene of, uh, of, of Bruce, you know, getting put into a stretcher with, with naked Shane. And, and let's not uh, forget the Aussie the, Ducks. the Jenna's dying mom music part starts up here. <laughs> Just to tie it all together. Oh my god! So you have the scene of the sad Jenna music, and then you have the, the chipper Aussie docks with the uh, it could be your appendix or uh, your your toe exploding. I mean, it's something's <laughs> going on, and uh, you have Courtney and naked Shane with just a humongous blur as they wheel or they they cart out, <laughs> they carry poor Bruce's stretcher to the to, to the boat. Easy, get him in, you know. And they're like in the water at this point, and Shane's just like, "We'll see you in a minute, Brucey." Looks like it might be his poopy poop. <laughs> but yeah, that's the greatest. This, this poignant shot of four people carrying their fallen comrade off the battlefield, except one of them is bare-ass naked, so he has a blur. <laughs> well, and, and, then it's, and then it's funny because Shane actually has some really good words here, really good words, where he's sort of eulogizing and he says, you know, I hope Bruce gets to finish the game on his own terms, but... Because you know Bruce is a warrior, and that that's that's the way it is. With the, he's lived such a rich and full and amazing life, it's these really good words from Shane. And then they 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 cap all this off with the shot of the boat sort of sailing away in the distance, and Shane with his blurred bare ass just sitting there watching the whole thing. <laughs> I know, couldn't they have zoomed in a little so you see him from the waist up? No, they have to pull back, so that's the shot. You're, you're, it's like scooping, flying away in the helicopter, the poignant, sad moment. They zoom back, and there's Bruce sailing away, and Shane's bare ass is the last thing you see. <laughs> we'll do it for Bruce. <laughs> Whatever happens, make sure we don't end in a shot with Shane's ass. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's the thing, there's, there's no way to top the scene. This is like that's the thing. I, I I hate that I had to write about the scene on a funny one fifteen because it's so horrible and like it's. I feel like it's so insensitive to Bruce to like talk about what a hilarious scene this is. But but goddamn, this is a funny scene. And anybody who appreciates comedy have to watch has to watch this scene and just watch how awkward it is. The the tone of how serious they're trying to make it and how not serious it is. If you look at all the little bit parts, it's great. And then what kills me is that this isn't even the end of the episode. I remember this <sighs> being the end of the episode, but it's not. The episode's still fifteen more minutes. No, we still we still have the next day stuff to talk about because Shane and Courtney have their own little aftermath to deal with. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So we end with that. We end with that scene, and the next day, Courtney. <laughs> I don't know if the editors do this on purpose. Like, did they intend to do this? But Courtney gives a confessional the next morning. How you know yesterday was horrible, and you know I got crapped on in the in the challenge. Everyone made fun of me. And so then Bruce got taken away, and she says, it was, the, it was the icing and the cherry and the hot fudge on top of my pretty poo-poo day. <laughs> like, seriously, did you have to throw in a poop reference, Courtney? <laughs> Come on. So much damn poop in this season. <laughs> oh, my God. One of the, you know, a very good case of how this is one of the funniest scenes visually in Survivor history. It's been in the Funny 115, and I think we did it justice talking about Bruce's exit from the game. And I think we get one of our other funny recurring bits in the middle of this as well with the cheerful Australian doctor, which, again, the doctors throughout Survivor, even in, in its 30s, are always Australian for some yes, reason. So that we're of able course. To bring, so we're able to really bring back the, can you poop, mate? Uh, so that's, that's, that's always fun to keep bringing back into these podcasts. 
Yes, I love the themes, the motifs that, you know, transcend a podcast from season to season. Yeah, and I know that this was like a 10-minute clip that I put in here, but really, I couldn't cut much out. I did cut a little bit out about, uh, honestly, about when Mario went into that story in the middle of it about his son getting extreme constipation. I, I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> need to talk about uh, the man named after Nick Brown and, and paint him in such a, a duty-filled light. But this this is, as you said, probably one of my favorite scenes in Survivor history, just from an unintentional comedy perspective. And so I really couldn't cut that much out because there really was so much to dissect here. Biggest shock for me is that you were able to pull a 10 minute clip from historians and Mario didn't mention his own fan fiction. I think that's, I know. <laughs> that's pretty amazing itself. Well, we're getting into these years, you know, where Mario wasn't putting characters in his fan fiction. Uh, we just passed the season of Guatemala where he had a lot of inside information. But we're actually moving into another season where he was able to get some insider information from one Renee Seiler of the early show and give us a lot of insight into Survivor Cook Islands, which I know the majority of us on the panel were not a big fan of, even in reviewing the season. We only covered it in two parts, which should say something considering that we usually do the three, sometimes four-parters talking about this season. That being said, a lot of people seem to really like the fact that we trash Cook Islands the entire time. They did. <laughs> and speaking of the previous clip that we just talked about, you even mentioned it before, Paul. Uh, you brought one of these lesser, one of the many lesser-known castaways of Survivor Cook Islands into a new light with a story between you and your brother. I remember one time, so I, I watched the show with my brother. He's like, I mean, he like knows a lot of the older seasons better than the newer seasons because he doesn't do a lot of rewatching. But I remember we we rewatched Cook Islands a couple years after it aired, and he goes, "Who the hell is she?" And I'm trying to like like you know like jog his memory, and my brother just he comes up with the weirdest things. But he says, he's like. Cecilia, <laughs> he said, Cecilia is about as interesting as the last dump I took. From now on, I'm just going to say, if I have to go to the bathroom, I'm going to go take a Cecilia. <laughs> so <laughs> every time I see Cecilia, I think about, yeah, that. You could say, so, you could say, you're, you're, you could think about your brother dump. taking a shit. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to add that to maybe make her a more memorable character for everyone else because that's really actually helped her for me. <laughs> I was really going to say, Going into this podcast, yeah, I didn't know much about the Oslison house bathroom habits, and now I know 100% more of how that works in their house, so I'm glad to know that. I feel like that really takes the Ashby line to a new level. And I apologize, I was not able to put the flushes in there, but we know that our previous editor, Tim, would constantly put a flush in there every time Cecilia's name was mentioned. Yes, how appropriate. I just saw my brother today. He was in town, and uh, I reminded him of our uh, his legacy to the Cecilia on the Historians podcast. And no, I did not push my brother down in an attempt to beat him in a challenge. I did cut that clip. I, I thought we could put it in there, but I uh, we, we, again, don't want to take too much of a deep dive into Paul's psyche, at least not in this best of show. <laughs> yeah, no, just listen to all the Historians, and you can find out even more about me and my brother and my family dynamics, but more than you ever need to know. Uh, another uh, interaction here from uh, Survivor Cook Islands, the one that we love to trash on, was um, all of a sudden this impression. I don't know if you call it an impression. Of it's not an impression. No. <laughs> no. Uh, character. I don't know what you call this. Um, Mike started pretending to be Adam, and then it wasn't enough for us just to have one impression. So Jay had to get on the on the <laughs> on, on board with this too. Very weird here. A very weird montage here. So take a listen for yourself. <laughs> Well, what's impressive about this edit, JP, is that 
JP's in a group of guys, including Adam, and Adam is not the douchiest guy of the four. That's impressive that JP manages to out-douchey him. Because <laughs> Adam's going to have his moments later. Because, like, every time Adam talks, I'm like, he's like, he's like one of the jock guys from Heathers, is like how, how I, I totally <laughs> see it there. Pound it, bro! <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't see mineral water on that guy. <laughs> oh my god he also he also looks like one of those uh giant henchmen for like one of those cartoon gangsters <laughs> like he doesn't yes. have the voice you can, but you can be like uh duh boss okay you got it <laughs> yes <laughs> i hope adam doesn't listen to this podcast by the way oh adam i'm sure he is <laughs> adam doesn't know how to work a podcast <laughs> but so Steph- yeah so stephanie admits you know you vote I, me out I'm, yeah, vote me out. And so the guys were like, yeah, we're going to do that. Great. Um, uh, yeah. Duh, yeah, boss, whatever you say. Um, Dude, pound it. <laughs> yeah, I, Raro has a surprise. I don't know if they're like on an octopus nest or something, but it seems like every episode from now on, somebody has caught an octopus. <laughs> yeah, and it's like stuck to his foot like a face hugger in Alien. It's kind of creepy. Uh, I don't know. There's a sulky thing on my leg, boss. How do I get it off? Yeah, there's a lot of, like, bro-down over octopus, you know, attacks. Like, they get an octopus. Dude, I have an octopus. Get it off you, bro. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Pound it! And you're like, this is a lot of stuff about octopi? The first step, the first part is you transport your smallest people, again, on these large poles that they build, and then everyone has to get on this large tower, this small tower at the end. They have to all get their, like feet off the ground and because you know raro's big bulky guys work against them here where they can't get everyone up there and i choose able to benefit from it duh <laughs> duh i'm gonna stand on the tower boss uh you grab onto my legs like octopus before boss remember that yeah, octopus powdered <laughs> i like how we have dueling adam gentry impressions i sure hope people have seen heathers they would appreciate that so much more <laughs> So yeah, so it's actually kind of a cool challenge, and I actually wrote in my notes, okay, well, at least this was interesting. That was kind of a fun challenge, and they're all beating each other up, and Ozzy gets manhandled by uh, two of the bigger oh guys. Like, yeah, he ends up with these big red scrapes down his neck, because they just just uh, grab him and pull him right off that pole. <clears throat> okay, take, take the little boy and throw him around. Got it, boss. <laughs> get him. Yeah, pound it out. <laughs> Every time you're going to get me on this. <laughs> I mean, I just watched it for Flickr, so in about five minutes, I'm going to be checked out for the rest of the podcast. So everyone has their reasons, I guess. It's a sick world, Paul. Well, Paul, I'm sort of checked out as it is. So that leaves Mario and Mike. Uh, you know, take it from here, guys. All right, All right let's, let's carry this load. All right, let's go, Tim. Break out that Adam impression. Oh, okay, flying like a turkey, round eagles, boss. Oh, pound it! Yeah! All right, so here we go. We're in episode eight, right after the recap. By the uh, way, Mike, Cal- our, dueling, our, our dueling Adam impersonations is probably my favorite thing in life. <laughs> I, I, not, not to disparage Paul or Mario, but I do agree. <laughs> I two wins, and they send Adam to exile, which is a shame. We lose some Adam fun time. Man. <laughs> it's where his great quote comes from, though, right? Going to exile, uh, bro! This is the eagle and turkey uh, a quote. I like birds, boss. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Bird, pretty birdies. I just want to eat that bird. I just want to, I just want to pound it, bro. 
the, the other reasons why Penner and Candace stepped off the mat, not only to try to uh, solidify with uh, their original railroad tribe, but also they thought that Adam had the hidden immunity idol. Mm. Right. And, and I think, and Adam did a lot to lead people on to make people believe that he did have it. And that comes up later after the merge too, that he was really trying to make, made people think he did have the idol. Because uh, look, look at my pocket, boss. It's got like a bump in it. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah man. And then Adam and Parvati start drunk flirting with another, and Adam gives us a great line, which I'm sure Mike will be able to imitate, where Adam says, now both girls can appreciate me, meaning Adam, Candace and Parvati can both flirt with him, so they, they're both allowed to appreciate him. Uh, I got two holes, boss, for a reason. <laughs> oh. Who's putting stuff in who? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. The Survivor Auction, which starts with Penner spilling beer all over Adam. This is an excellent moment for Penner to make more friends. Dude, bro, you spilled a beer on me, man. Pound it. Duh, it's like Spuds McKenzie, boss. Oh, my God. Spuds McKenzie <laughs> is an old <laughs> reference even for Adam. Part A, it's awkward, but B, I think that John is probably, you know, he's a level-headed, smart guy as well. It's like, you know, this isn't, even though you're watching the episodes go on, it's like, you know, hey, by the way, I was on Survivor, and, uh, you know, I made out with a dude there. But, you know, that's done. Yeah, don't worry, it wasn't someone dumb like Adam. It was someone <laughs> impressive. Duh, I'm the cuckold, boss. <laughs> what cruel fate has befallen me. Oh my god, I, I, now I'm just thinking Adam playing like Dogberry or some sort of Shakespeare fool, and this is great. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like you could listen to like, you know, a minute and a half of that and get that, but it just kind of keeps going and going and going. I don't know why, and again, as you said, it's not even an impression. Jay and I are both like, <laughs> Adam looks like this type of person, and it's like the man seems completely fine, very innocuous part of Survivor Cook Islands, despite making the finale. But we just completely turn him into this giant thing. And like you said, the funniest part of it is that for some reason there are dueling impressions <laughs> Why? of Gendry. Why? Of all the people. That's what happens when you make us podcast about uh, Cook Islands. Uh, yeah. Ends up these, you know, non-logical things start happening. Uh, not logical at all, boss. Yeah, I'm not Jay, so I'm not going to try to respond to that. All right, let's move into Survivor Fiji, which sort of like Vanuatu is one of those less regarded seasons by the Survivor populace, but I feel like we were able to talk a lot about how it really does hold up on a rewatch, and Mario likes to use the adage that Cook Islands and Fiji have the op- the reputation of the other season. Uh, Cook Islands is more highly regarded, but Fiji should be the one that's more highly regarded. We have a couple of fun things from here. I unfortunately was not able to include Paul's love for Sylvia uh, as random as that was from the first part. Uh, we had a nice, short, sweet bit about Anthony getting left behind once they switched tribes at the new Ravu. A little aside, I was um, I was at work the other day, and they made an announcement over the, the speaker. At, I work at a school, and they came across over the speaker, and they said, Anthony Robinson to the main office, please. Anthony Robinson. Um, maybe he was in, in gym class and being really embarrassed. <laughs> well, he's, a, he's an expert witness locator. Maybe he was looking for an expert witness in the school to bring on the stand. <laughs> yeah, 21 Jump Street. I mean, maybe they should have called down um, Cookie. Maybe that would have uh, <laughs> caught his attention quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I so have yeah a, i have, I have a weird issue always because he he describes himself that way like two or three times 
in this episode where he's like, they just left old Cookie back at the camp, which, of course, you know, that that dredges up the image of like the old wagon trails, right? With the, with the cook, you know, Cookie, like with the with the cooking wagon, you know, and you leave him and you go out and forage. But it's like they're not doing much cooking over there at Ravu. So he's just like they left Cookie at the camp. And I'm like, are you cooking? Or are you just sitting in the cave? No, yeah, you know, he's he, watching. He's like, they left old Watchy back here to watch. <laughs> exactly. Old Looky right. Lou's here. <laughs> old Looky And uh, I'm just thankful to all you out there for playing the part of old Listeny and have been listening to these podcasts all these years. Yeah, no, uh, you know, very much like yo, we said Vanuatu, Guatemala, those types of seasons. Very Fiji was a very enjoyable experience for me because it was really fun to try to make the case that Fiji should have the rep- the reputation that Cook Islands had. And I think as we move away from Fiji, we get to some later seasons that are very popular. We really find ourselves in kind of a pickle of trying to talk about a season that's so great. It's much easier to try to to point out all the things about a season that doesn't get the recognition it deserves. Yeah, much easier pitch to make. <laughs> yes, um, and the greatest thing that Fiji gave us for sure is four letters, L-I-S-I, Lisi. <laughs> Lisi, Lisi, Lisi. There's so much great about Lisi. I wish we could play every clip of Lisi, and I wish we could play any all the singles that she's recorded and you know put out there uh, that might not be safe for work. Uh, but we do want to make sure we take a look back at her final Tribal Council speech, which I may or may not have memorized. I always Lisa. wonder about Lisi more than anything else, because there are clearly people that go on Survivor and they're there to play the game. And there are people that go on Survivor and they want to do whatever it takes to win a million dollars. And then there are people that go on Survivor and they you know, want the adventure and the this will change my life and uh, all that sort of stuff. It. it None of this seems to apply to Lisi. Lisi just is like it's, it's almost like she was just a passenger on a plane, and they were like she just kind of like wandered onto the wrong bus, and they like dropped her off, and she's just out there, and she's like, "Well, oh, far out! I'm on this game show." Yeah, there were there were originally supposed to be 19 people, but then they added Lisi, and then Melissa McNulty dropped out, so they stuck with 19. Do you uh, do you want me to spoil why she said why she did the get why she did the show? Um, Jay, do it. She gets asked, so why did you do this? And Lisa's response, I did it for Andy Warhol. Ah. (laughs) That's so good. That's so good. This Lisa's speech is just gold. I don't know if I mentioned this before. When this season first aired, there was a girl that I had. We both were teacher aides together. Um, so we spent a lot of our time, this is junior year of high school, so we spent a lot of time just like goofing off and not actually doing our work or anything. And I would show her clips of Lisey, and we had so many Lisey inside jokes, even though she did not watch Survivor at all, but we loved just to quote the final tribal council. And so at one point I did have this, I, I, I pretty much do have it memorized, but I did pull it up here to make sure we get every every great detail of Lisey's speech. So she she hops down and goes, whew. All right, let's see. Um, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a liar by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. Not really. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Cassandra, can I see your water shoes? <laughs> and then <laughs> apprehensively, Cassandra, sure. And she uh, you know, kicks up her shoe. Lisey, all right. Those are the worst looking water shoes I've ever seen. It's just telling me that you were completely unprepared to play this game. Would you agree with that? And then Cassandra, I think, actually hands herself pretty well. And he goes, no, it's day 39 and I'm still here and my shoes are still here. And at least he tries it. No, okay. 
Cassandra finishes. That's all I can say. I don't see the relevance in the question. Lisa <laughs> <laughs> so Lisa... gives the, the WTF yeah. look. WTF like, what the hell totally. are you talking about? But Lisa explains herself here. I mean, she really like, you know, after Lisa explained this, you go, oh, I get it now. She says, I brought up the shoes because you were in over your head. So I'm thinking for 39 days, she made it because greed. I think greed <laughs> is really what fueled everything. Would you agree with that? Yes or no? Cassandra, no, I don't believe that. I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that comment from you. My purpose for being on the island was to prove some things to myself. Lisey, so greed never propelled you? Cassandra, greed never propelled me. So what did? What did? Your love of the outdoors? <laughs> and, um, but and then this is one thing. It's like at this point, Cassandra's kind of winning. She's got it. She's got it. She's got it. And then she says, of course, wanting to win a million dollars like everyone else. Oh, yes, no. very fair statement. But oh, if what was that? Oh, what was that? Uh-huh. Oh, what? Say that one more time. Hey, we all did things. Hey, 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 we all try to get them in. Hey, hey, we're playing here. We're playing. Dreams. And then uh, we <laughs> shuffle over to dreams. I want to know how many zeros are in a million. Dream says six. Enough to keep somebody's life running and to help a lot of people. Lisey, say that one more time. Enough to keep someone's life. Uh, about the zeros? Six. Good. Good. And then I love when Dreams goes back and says, what, do you think I'm stupid? Hey, it's a question. I'm part of the jury. This is part of my game. Just like you played your game and you do what you have to do in the game, I get that opportunity too. Okay. And then she gets into this weird thing talking about Earl and calling Earl out for the face that he made. Um, I won't go through the whole uh, rebuttal of that part, part, but God, I love Lisey. You know, I really think I could like take that show on the road. Like, I feel like I could be a one man show. I know you're the you're the guy with the theater background, but I think there'd be something there. What do you think? Uh, you would t- definitely take it to some very interesting locations. Uh, I don't exactly know where Lisey's type of stuff would play, but it might require an age requirement. <laughs> well, there's like a lot of like, interpretation there. Like, what are the water shoes? Like, what do they represent? I do love this sort of open-ended question of, we do wonder for a second if Lisey did forget how many zeros are in a million. And I also <laughs> had to include in there, it's sort of Lisey tangential, but Jay's fantastic theory from part two of our Fiji coverage, where he thinks comes up with the theory that Lisey wasn't actually supposed to be on Survivor. She was a tourist that just sort of wandered onto <laughs> a plane or a boat and wound up there. Because one minute she's quitting, the next minute she's like laughing about how she doesn't need to, she doesn't care about challenges and rewards. Lisey is truly an enigma in the survivor world oh my gosh my favorite Lise, like Lisey quote at the moment it changes because there's so many good ones my favorite one is when they tell her that if they're not nice to cassandra dreams they're going to flip and it's going to be five five and her response is cool whatever uh, my favorite might be Lisey in the beginning at the moto camp smashing hands with a hammer and just laughing maniacally at it yeah she's a whack job and uh, I'm, I'm sad we only got to see her one time well, you were speaking before, Paul, about how uh, we have covered some of the more highly regarded seasons. And after hitting some uh, rather interestingly regarded seasons of Survivor, we get to a season that I feel like a lot of people, with maybe one notable exception that we talked about on the podcast, really, really enjoy Survivor China. It had the characters. It had the strategy. It had the location. It had the culture. It had everything you might want in a Survivor season. And in addition to all that, it had the construction projects. <laughs> We go into episode two. This is the uh, Dave, crazy Dave is now the leader of Jean Hu. And uh, I'm sure Jay will have a lot of fun with this because Dave is going to start making a fire pit. This is 
I mean, it's not even the biggest narrative. Like the narrative that comes out of most of this is just Dave is crazy and Dave is just the worst, one of the worst leaders ever. And 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 that's fair and that's valid. But as you can see, Dave sort of they wake up the next morning and you know they basically talk about it and Dave is like, look, I'm going to step up and we're going to do things. And he even says, look, there are some things we just need to do and we need to do well. And he talks about the fire pit. You know, they need to redo the shelter and rethink because it got rained on and there was water that came in and all that sort of stuff. But Dave's like, we need to make a fire pit. And it, it's one of those things where, you know, we're, we don't want to make a little one or a temporary one. This is one that we just want to get right. And what I love is that it seems like every time they go back to Jahu until Dave gets voted off, He's working on the fire pit and improving the fire pit. It's like it's literally his Mona Lisa. Like he he's just <laughs> over there working on this fire pit. And I, I got to tell you, it's probably one of the sturdiest and best fire pits that's ever been built on Survivor. I'm not even going to lie about it. But it's like at the same time, it's like, Dave, people are dying. You need to light a fire. And he's just like, no, no, the pit's not done. We're going to do this right. And it, it's just it's really sad where he's basically like, I don't want to make a temporary pit. This is something we need to do first and right. And I'm sitting there going, like, you could totally do a temporary pit while you, you, make, know, you make one. We had, you know, in, in Amazon, we have Matthew with the machete happen in, in the middle of the game. And we have arguably, you could compare this to like Bruce with the firewood. But I don't think we've ever seen someone Butch, snap. Butch, get it right. Butch, sorry. I don't know. Bruce, I was thinking. I've Bruce has been building fires for 30 years. Exactly. I was thinking about his life experience. But. I don't think we've ever seen someone on camera snap on day four. Dave is like, he goes off the deep end here. And I feel like almost everything, you know, Dave says here could almost be said through like gritted teeth because he is patronizing his tribe so much of like, you don't understand. We need to make the fire pit so we can have a fire constantly throughout the day. And I could, he just, <laughs> it's, it's like amazing to just see like first episode Yes, he does embrace PG probably a little too hard, but I feel like he's a relatively normal, level-headed person. And then that immediately goes once Chicken's gone and he's given some sort of form of leadership. As you said, Jay, he is so centric on this. I mean, this this is his white whale, basically, yeah. is this fire pit. <laughs> you know, a lot of people gave me grief for not giving Dave an entry on the Funny 115, like not writing about Dave. Now I totally realize they're correct. I sh- totally should have written about Dave in the fire pit. I totally dropped the ball on that one. Do you like when he uh, shuts down Jamie for uh, wishing too hard because she wanted to eat? <laughs> she wanted to make if a you, meal by the end of the day, and he said you were wishing too hard. If you pass out and die, do not fall on the fire pit. She's like, shouldn't I wish? Like, can't, can't I wish? And he's just like, not for that. <laughs> Where's she your the fire should pit? wish hard. And it's like, oh, he just... And the thing is, is that he's right. Like he builds it up and he's building all the stones and he's trying to build it. So it's constantly covered and it's got a ventilation. Like you could see as it's building, like he's not even explaining it to the camera, but you could see if you're looking at it, what he's doing. But by the same token, you need to just have a little place where there's a fire so that you could boil water and shit. And he's just like, no, no, we've got to do this and go. And I mean, he just, he loses his damn mind over this fire pit and it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's just great TV. We need a chimney so Santa can come down and give us presents. <laughs> there, there's a scene, and I'm, I'm totally sort of skipping ahead in the episode, and I know we're not this far, but you know, he and Ashley get into it in this episode where she's just like, look, we need to get things done. We need to do this stuff. And Dave's just like, how many fire pits have you built, sweetie? And I'm, uh, if I were Ashley, I was looking at me, how many have you built? Because the answer is not one yet. 
but I'm close. Five eighths. <laughs> it's like Palpatine team with a Death Star. Hold on, we have to talk about. We go back to Jean Hu oh. and Dave because everyone's mad. They all want to eat food, and Dave won't let them because he's still making his barbecue pit. And he and he hoses Jamie in mud. I completely hosed you. Yes. All right. Again, that we you think we already talked about this before, but we have to mention it because it happens again. Dave is still making the barbecue pit. All right. He's not even going to finish this episode, by the way, just so you know. Like, he's going to be working on it in the next episode. You can really see that, like, Dave, Dave is talking, even that scene where he hoses Jamie, where, like, you know, even Jamie's just basically like, hey, Dave, can we eat? Please, we're starving. <laughs> you know? And Dave's like, no, we cannot. But he just, like, smashes that stone down and just gets on and he's like oh dude totally and what i love is that she doesn't like wash it off like she's just down by the by the creek there with sharia like ashley comes over and jamie's just like look what he did yeah it's mud and i'm like you're living in mud it's okay fine okay you know know, they're just talking about how dave is just ridiculous all right so we cut back to jean who and dave is obsessing over the fire pit It's not done. He's still working on it. But he is like, if he was at like a seven last episode, he is at an 11 this episode. First, when PG says like, hey, you know, Dave, you shouldn't, you shouldn't probably expend your energy again because you got worn out. And he just goes, PG? And makes like a kissy noise at her. And then not he gets... Not condescending at all. And then, he has this one, and then he has this one <laughs> confessional where he's basically complaining because uh, there's this, this whole thing about how, like, while well, he's lying around, the tribe's just sort of discussing about, like, okay, you know, what should I, how should we put the walk in the fire? And Dame just storms off and grabs a brick. <laughs> and then he gives this confessional where he just says through this gritted teeth and crazy eyes, he goes, it's not rocket science. <laughs> As you can just feel the seething anger from this man. <laughs> the art of war says the walk sits on a brick. In, in one way, you can sort of identify with Dave, which is why I like, think, think this is so good, is because you can sort of see a lot of angles in the sense that they were basically like, oh, how do we put it on the fire? And he's like, a brick. I'll go get one because he was, you know, dealing with bricks because, you know, his master pit is not done and he's been using these bricks. So he goes over and gets one and they're basically like, well, they were talking about it. and He just gets up and goes and gets one. They were like, well, there's one right here. And he's like, well it took me like no time to go over there and get the brick. And their point was that, you know, he's expending energy to go over there, walk, get the brick, carry it from one place to the other. But on the other hand, it's, it is sort of an interesting thing to think about in survivor. If you're out there and you know, everything's got to be talked about and everything's got to be split evenly and everything sort of has to get discussed. And it's like, in one way you can see that someone getting frustrated with that and just saying, just go lift something and bring it over there. It's not that hard when you just do it. I love but the fact Dave, that later so on, crazy. yeah, later on, John, who will get the reputation as being the fun tribe where everyone's having fun. Clearly not. It's such a weird dichotomy, and again, it's it's what you're showing. Like what we're showing is Dave's personality and the fact that he's not getting along with everyone. Sort of the fact that PG is, you know, trying to fit in, and you can see that Eric and Jamie are sort of, you know, sort of of a same mind and, and sort of being together. So you're seeing all this sort of setup, but you're right, Mario, in the sense that like every time we go to Jean who Dave is going crazy on people. <laughs> and yet everyone from the outside is like, God, they're so happy and joyous. <laughs> and you're like, they're what? Well, to be fair, when Leslie comes and visits them later, it might be when the fire pit's done. So once the fire pit's done, maybe there's no more conflict. But it, is it done? Like it's, <laughs> it's sort never of done. done. It's never done. Really never done. done. <laughs> 
okay, there's going to be an expansion on it, and we have to build a patio to go with it. <laughs> it's like the Great Pyramid. It's never quite done. It'll be eons and eons until that thing is finished. I can see, like, Dave getting home from Survivor and then just going to his backyard and going, I know. Well, I hear I, there, I there, there are <laughs> no now two... There are now two things that can see that can be seen from space. It's the Great Wall of China and Dave's fire pit, located about a mile outside of the Great Wall of China. I could just see like Dave coming home from work every day at you know being a former model or whatever his work is, and like just looking at his backyard and looking at the pile of bricks, going, "I have to, I have to continue my work." Can you imagine that kid if he had like Legos when he was a little kid? It must have been insane the towers he would have built, the fire pits. The plural of Legos is Lego, actually. Oh, Mom, sorry I hosed you in Legos there. <laughs> Lego, I apologize, Jay. Yeah, get it right. But um, and we had Douchey Paul, now we have Douchey Jay correcting yeah, well. our grammar. <laughs> Welcome to the club, K. Garnet Garnet. Okay, and yeah, Leslie comes over to Jean Hu and she immediately says, Oh, the morale is so much better over here. Everyone's just happier. Well, like, Dave got up. Dave got, Dave got up on the right foot here. Where he just puts his hand on her shoulder and he says, "I promise to watch my mouth and keep my pants on while you're here." Aw, have I showed you my fire pit yet? <laughs> to be to be fair, she was quite impressed by the fire pit. I remember her saying in an interview. Well, yeah, I mean, it should be. It took you know, it was Dave's life's work <laughs> to get that thing up. I mean, it's just like it it it, it needs. I mean, I don't have the conservatory done yet, but, you know, you, you, can, see, you can see what I'm going for here. <laughs> yes. This is the servants' quarters over here. But yeah, so Leslie has a big argument at Tribal Council, like, we need to be more like Jean Hu. They have heart. We don't have heart. They are very unified over there. We need to be more like that, which is a good argument because they immediately vote her out. <laughs> they have a fire pit. What do we have? <laughs> yeah, you should see their fire pit, guys. I want you guys to note that it is episode four, and when Sharia takes his shells, where is Dave? Fire pit. He's still kind of fiddling with his fire pit. <laughs> the art of war says you must have shells on your fire pit. I mean, I mean, granted, when when Leslie came in episode three to Jeanhu, they had a fire going in the fire pit. So, like, the fire pit is functional at this point. But notice it's not done because he's still fiddling with that fire pit. <laughs> I just have this like fun image of like everybody else like getting water and sticks and trying to get a shelter going. And Dave's just like this fire pit. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's like the Winchester mystery house. He's constantly adding little doors and windows that go nowhere. Oh, my God. What a reference. What a, what a crazy house that is. It's very dishonest to even call him a fisherman. He's not a fisherman. He's a guy who robs birds. <laughs> to be fair, though, they were going to give them the birds, but then they caught Dave tying the birds to uh, cinder blocks to build a new fire pit, so they decided to get <laughs> rid of it. need a fire pit with birds. It's not <laughs> rocket science. Yes. Dave Johnson. Although this time, we lose crazy Dave. And I think they, they cut a scene at the end of this where actually it cut back to Jean Hu's camp, and you see a little tear emanate from the fire pit as it drips <laughs> down each cinder block and eventually hits the dirt. It's a touching moment. It's like Bruce's rock garden. It was never to be forgotten. I don't know. I just feel like Dave and his fire pit is just... It's funny because Dave is such a character. Like I, When you look at the boot list for the season, you just can't believe that Dave is the fourth boot. Like He just seems like he's a 
uh, he's in the season much, much more than that. But he, what a four episodes. I mean, they are, he's, he's very prominent in most of them, you know, mainly for being crazy Dave, but he's, he's just at the forefront and he's just this huge character. And then just the side thing is that he's just always working on that fire pit. It's just (laughs) never done. Just when you're watching the season, just watch him fiddling with this fire pit. And I mean, granted, by the time he leaves, that fire pit is amazing. I'm not going to discredit that, but it's like, boy, Dave, you went crazy and worked on that fire pit, and that was about it. I mean, yeah, by the time, time you have to really, you have to really like, fig- wait, is that tribal council or is that the fire pit? <laughs> yes. By the time he leaves, it's like 25 feet high. Do you remember? There's like four different levels. There's like steps and columns. It's really cool. Well, they, they hire a yeoman guard, right, to stand outside it, patrol? <laughs> yes. It's just Jamie in her helmet and armor. She blocks it. <laughs> and here's the important point. Since Fei Long has, quote-unquote, won the battle so far, they get to go back to their camp, which means Dave's fire pit is now completely out of the picture for the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah, someone just asked me today, like, what, are you, what was Dave thinking at home when he realized that they never got to use his fire pit? I'm like... Dave wouldn't have had time to watch the episodes. He was busy making his new fire pit at home. There's no way he was watching TV. You know, Parmy hopes that Dave would be done with his homemade fire pit almost 10 years after the airing of Survivor China. But knowing Dave, we know it will never be truly complete. Yes, you know, like like we were discussing the difficulties that China provi- uh, provided, I think China for me was the most difficult to podcast about because there really wasn't any dissension about why this you know that the season was good and why it was good at least we have in Micronesia we had you know some discussions of of the evolution of of the show and things like that like China is just like this amazing season just that just came at us and it's good in every way and what else do you talk about everyone knows it so well and and it was so hard for me but the thing that really saved China for me was that we had our first Montanan on the show someone who I had a connection with not only a connection with Amanda Kimmel but also her sister and we have Amanda's sister Katrina Paul Paul what can you tell us about Katrina I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast or not. Maybe we alluded to it. I can't remember, but I'll, I'll tell it again that uh, what I do know about Katrina is I actually, when I was going to school, not when China was airing, it must have been by the time Heroes vs. Villains was airing, but I knew someone who went to high school with Katrina, which is in a different city in Montana, and he didn't know much. He didn't like know her too well. He just remembered. He's like, oh yeah, that girl kind of had the weird senior picture where she was like really like really kind of too close to a horse. Like her head, like it was kind of like horse head and Katrina head together with kind of like a seductive look in her eye, maybe a zombie look in her eye. And she was just like very, very close to this horse head. So um, that's what I know about Katrina. (laughs) Wait, you know Katrina because people gossip that she might have fucked a horse. That's what you're saying? (laughs) Just that she had an interesting senior picture with a horse. Catherine the Great. What the hell is going on here? See, I, I bring actual good Montana facts to this podcast. That's fantastic. I want like, an actual were... copy of it, though. I should have asked for the actual copy. Oh, we'll, we'll find one. We'll make it at the cover of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad she and her sister weren't doing horse calls then instead of bird calls. That would have made far more sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, if Katrina's going to be going for something, it's a horse. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, so bad. 
Yeah, I really wish I could dig up that picture. I really wish I could find that. I was doing a little uh, uh, snooping today, and I, I still can't find it. So a huge letdown that we don't have that picture circulating somewhere. It, it's lost to the times, but the, your pure description of it made for a lot of comedic potential. And in our last Micronesia podcast, we got to see Katrina back. And so <laughs> then came the jokes as well. But I cannot imagine this this young girl... Uh, getting rather intimate with a horse in one of her <laughs> high school pictures. I guess that's the way they do it in Montana, right? Right. You know, I was thinking up, trying to dig up some more information on her today, and I stumbled across her LinkedIn. I think it's her LinkedIn because it said she there was really not much on it, but I could see that she worked at the University of Montana where I went to school, and I was like, oh, I'm looking to see where she worked. She said she worked on the I can't remember what it was called, the grill or whatever, like whoever makes the burgers at the cafeteria <laughs> or something. Uh, let, let's <laughs> and, hope they don't go the IKEA route and made burgers out of horse. Right. That's true. Uh, so I'm now just like you know flashing back, like did horse horse girl ever serve me a burger? Hmm. I like to think that she did just because, you know, that that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, more connections to Amanda for you. And speaking of Amanda, we are really in peak Amanda mode here as we segue into our most recently covered season, Survivor Micronesia, Survivor fans versus favorites. I think we sort of are across the board on our opinions here. Paul, I know you and I hold this season in higher regard than Mario and Jay, who again are in solitary confinement, truly writing a magnum opus about why Micronesia is a fantastic season. Uh, But we were able to get a couple of things out of our unfinished series thus far. In spite of our varying opinions, one of the people I think we all had fun with was fan Kathy Sleckman, who only ended up lasting about seven or so episodes in Survivor Micronesia, but certainly left an impression, especially a first impression, both among her fellow fans and her first time on Exile Island with Suri. A moment that I think is even better than that is our introduction to Kathy Sleckman, who is one of the greatest characters pre-merge of all time. Kathy's stumbling around on the beach, and she actually says, I have no idea what's going on. And then Yelman points to her to pick up the idol. So she picks up the idol that they had initially grabbed from the fan's boat, and she picks it up off the ground, kind of holds it up in the air to the camera and jumps up and down like, yay, I found an idol. So great. <laughs> My And I say this absolutely lovingly, Kathy Sleckman is one of the biggest derps to ever exist in the game of Survivor. <laughs> what? We go back to camp with the fans, and yeah, these are Kathy's derp moments where she meets Chet and, wow, I have a gay friend. I've never met a gay person before. This is so cool. My gay. And I also love several things about this, because it's totally like Midwestern lady meets a gay man. But I love her saying, like, well, I never met a gay person, but I think I work with someone bartending in the 80s who might have been gay. <laughs> Just like, again, like, Kathy has this very storied history that we don't hear too, too much about. But I could totally imagine her, like, pulling that out of her ass. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure she was gay. And, of course, she jumps into the gay stereotype of, like, okay, yeah, you're pretty much like a girl, right? <laughs> you don't want to be a girl, though, do you? <laughs> and they never do find the clue they get so tired they actually get to where the idol is they just don't have the energy to search for it anymore and they kind of give up and we'll find out later when ozzy grabs it yeah like they're so close but they just don't i guess they cut the scene where i was gonna say i got they cut the scene where kathy mentions that suri is the first black person she's ever met (sighs) did you now do do you it's not like you want to be white right oh my lord <laughs> oh, that's amazing <laughs> Kathy I gotta mute I'm gonna distract you guys 
Yeah, so uh, <laughs> the fun thing is, you know, I don't know if Kathy Sleckman, she's a big uh, involvement in Mario's aforementioned Zoe's Lobster Shack group. I have no idea if she listened to that podcast, but I have a feeling I will not be invited to any Sleckman family barbecues anytime soon. No, you, uh, you know, yeah, you can you can come with me to Katrina's and we can, uh, you know, have fun with some horses. I think that's a better bet than uh, heading over to Kathy's for any kind of family gathering. Definitely. Uh, I will definitely leave without all 10 of my fingers if I go to Kathy's anytime soon. <laughs> you know, a character that, you know, I know Mario always loved going to Micronesia was Eric. But what I didn't realize is the love that you would have for him and some really funny discussions we'd have about Aaron Reichenbach in this season. All right. So, yeah, so they fly out to this village of Yap in the middle of Micronesia and they have to walk up this stone, these stone steps that... I forget who says it is Amanda or someone says these things have been here for hundreds of years. They've all been worn down by all the people walking on them. And yeah, it's a really cool scene. There's lots of culture. There's dancing. There's food. They eat all this ain't this uh, traditional Micronesian food. It looks like it's been cooked in a pit like Hawaiian food, I would assume. That's what it looked like. The like the pork had been steamed underground, maybe. Yep. And uh, yeah, Amanda's in heaven. She's loving it. And they're just this is this is a great scene. And maybe between this and Jellyfish Lake are like the only two moments I can think of in Micronesia that have any really cultural value we actually kind of see what it's like to live there but I, and then we get boobs yeah i was gonna say i would put this scene above jellyfish Lake from an entertainment perspective because i'm so glad that eric reichenbach goes on this reward he is the perfect narrator between him starting off talking about how the path was out of time and he was afraid a dinosaur was gonna come out and eat them complete with a t-rex noise <laughs> from like the adr from <laughs> jurassic park uh, and then he, I, I love the editing here where he's like, oh, this, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. And then it just cuts to boobs, just bare boobs. And then he, he talks about the lunch lady and he says, this is the most boobs I've ever seen in my life. All right. For people who haven't seen this scene in a while, yeah, this is a scene where Eric is being introduced to all the temptations in the world where he gets a thing <laughs> called beetle nut, which is. Some he says it's some sort of tobacco almost, or it's probably maybe a little like kava, like Chad gets torn up on. So yeah, so Eric is getting high or stoned or whatever on beetle nut, and he's and, been uh, drinking the beer. He's been drinking the beer, and you know he's seeing the boobs. He's like Buster and um, rest of development with the juice at this point. It's going crazy. <laughs> this is gonna be off the hook. <laughs> yeah, and but even Ozzy, I mean, it's we're we're talking about it being all comical, but even Ozzy says, you know, it's really sweet and it's kind of interesting watching Eric, Eric's so innocent and so much like a child, it's interesting to watch him experience these things for the first time, like everyone else is kind of jaded. But not Eric. Eric, Everything is new and exciting to Eric, so it isn't isn't played as quite as comically as as we're talking about it here. Until he he pukes everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, until Eric starts puking, and then it becomes much more funny. Then it, yeah. (laughs) I tossed my cookies! (laughs) 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 <laughs> wow i love your eric impression that's great. <laughs> yeah that's that scene there that uh, i think you know kind of you know brings us back to what we had in vanuatu with that kava scene so uh uh how uh, can we expect more of that eric voice in, in part four of this podcast I'm assuming so, but it's going to be a lot sadder because, again, the, we only have two episodes left to talk about, and the first one is just Eric's really being put through the ringer and getting torn apart and being forced to give up immunity in what is considered one of the dumbest moves in Survivor history. So it will be a very bittersweet Eric voice from here on out. Yeah, I don't know that we've ever done a podcast just about 
two episodes. Maybe we have. We probably have because we're the historians, but Yeah, the the first survive the first All Stars episode, the very first historians proper podcast I was on only covered two episodes because we okay. spent a good, I think, two hours just talking about the casting and the rumors behind it and the general regard behind what a Survivor All-Star season was like. So that's the only time, though. Of course, it makes sense. One of the reasons why we push it to four parts here is because we spent two hours um, in the beginning of Micronesia talking about the lead-up to, you know, unfortunately, or to Papa Smurf's chagrin, <laughs> it was not All-Stars 2. <laughs> He's still waiting for that little thing called All-Stars 2. But, you know, I mean, this is an interesting point that we're ending off in five years because I think one of the big discussions we're going to have in our Part 4 podcast is how did Micronesia, Micronesia shape the game from here on out? And I think the big question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, how is historians going to change from here on out? How much longer can we go? Well, what will there be to talk about now that we're really, really leaving the old school era of Survivor behind us? Yeah, and I mean, there are still some really interesting things to talk about. Those of you that remember Mario from the Funny with 115 2.0 definitely know that he's going to have a lot to say about Gabon, specifically Randy and Sugar. Uh, and he is one of the biggest coach fanatics I know. So his love of coach and his hatred of Russell is definitely going to make for some interesting discussion as we get into the end of this teenage era. Right. But I think the one thing I've learned about historians is just to like never actually know what's coming or, or think you know what's coming because the minute you start saying it's going to be this long of a podcast, we're going to talk about this many seasons, you're just not going to live up to that. It's going to go way longer or take a different turn for it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, where our coverage, you know, goes from here. Yeah, exactly. We're very much like the James Millers and that whatever we say, the opposite happens. Yeah, you started saying James and I forgot there was a survivor. I was, I was thinking of a, a not a survivor and I was like, crap, what pop what pop culture reference is he going to use here? And then it uh, came back to survivor. I was like, phew, a survivor. Come on, Paul. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, awesome work, Mike, here. And thank you so much for going back to dig up all these clips. And I had a really good time laughing at some of these old moments. And, um, you know, really makes me excited to uh, finish up Micronesia probably within the next two years, I hope. Yeah, I, I think so. Hopefully, uh, you know, we won't have to get married again in the time that it takes between this and the next podcast. But, yeah, thank, thanks again for organizing this, Paul. Like I said, or like you said, it's very fun to go back and listen to these from the past five years. Just think about some of the, the bits that have happened as early on as the beginning to now. And like you said, let's look forward to see what happens next. And I hope that... You all out there are along with the ride for us. And thank you all again for all the submissions you had to this Best Of podcast. And if anything, this is a great excuse, whether in the Survivor offseason or whether you have free time or mowing a lawn or cleaning your house, to go back and listen to some of these podcasts. Because the thing about historians, even though we, from the beginning, dated ourselves with this podcast, uh, we purposely tried to really talk about that season as it exists in a bubble, what things were happening at the time. So it really is a fantastic look back at how each season was viewed within the historical context of everything. Yeah. Um, I I just don't want to like give up this, you know, the reins here, Mike. We never get to really run the show here. I know no. you've got your little stint in Guatemala. It's like, I know we're supposed to end this now, but like next time we are on, it's going to be, you know, Mario, you know, steering the ship. And I'm, I'm not really ready for that. Paul, you're just going to have to say that you're a huge fan of Survivor Gabon, and then we'll right. be able to give the reins over to you. I think you're the only one of us who hasn't, like, outright... This might be the first time you've outright, like, hosted our Historians podcast so far. I know, finally. Did, am I above the Ashby line for a, for a host? 
Always. You uh, you are not falling down the Ashby line anytime soon, and if you are, it'll be when you turn 60, so you can laugh at yourself for doing so. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, well, and I guess it is time to give up the reins here. I'm looking forward to our next part. Um, I guess until next time, I'm Paul Oslison. I'm Mike Bloom. And what does Mario say here? Does he say that the tribe says the tribe is broken? What does Mario say? He says something funny. Okay, insert something funny that Mario would say. Until next time, goodbye.